0: Diane, Bo here. I'm on Highway 2 with my partner Duncan McLeish. We're a few miles outside the town of Twin Peaks south of the Canadian border. We just had a lunch at a roadside stop called the Lamplight Inn, where we had a pot of damn fine coffee. Duncan also ordered a slice of cherry pie. I had the rest. The cost of the meal was, uh, Duncan? I
1: don't understand your foreign currency.
0: Right, twelve eighty-two.
1: Diane, Duncan here. The car smells like American beer farts with a hint of cherry now. I would like immediate reassignment.
0: Diane Bo again. As you know, we are here to trace the footsteps of one Agent Dale Cooper, who first investigated the mysterious goings-on in the town of Twin Peaks, Beginning in April of 1990. Specifically, the death of one Laura Palmer. Side note, Diane, I need to pick up some new underwear. <laughs> Drop it.
2: Duncan and both come correct.
0: Welcome, everybody, to, uh, I don't know, is this our second or third TV show? Third. Um, it, it's, uh, X-Files, it? then um, Westworld. Detective. F- oh, four. Jeez, I it's forgot. Four?
1: Holy fuck, this is our fourth.
0: I know. I know, uh, as you heard, I am Bo Ranstil. Uh here with me, Duncan McLeish, and Hello. we are, We so here's the thing, folks, I know we have been doing uh, seasons of shows where we uh, recommend movies to one another, and um, then people started recommending we do TV shows, Yep. and we started doing that, uh, we'll get back to the movies at some point, but quite frankly, uh, we're just having too much damn fun with the television <laughs> shows. So, uh, but we'll get back to it. I swear. Um, what I, I feel like we, we should set some ground rules here for our, well, our twin peaks investigation.
1: Well, like this. I love You know what? I'm like, bro,
0: I love rules. You are a rule. Uh, lover, <laughs> uh, is what I hear. Uh, but all right. So what I, because here is my, my assumption and it's probably wrong is that there are a lot of people, who feel like this show isn't for them because they've never watched Twin Peaks Yeah, and what I'm saying is we do no spoilers we take these episodes as they stand Mm -hmm. with the information presented within said episode although with Mm -hmm. certainly pointing out a few things like hey pay attention to this this is going to be important look at that owl Uh, (laughs) we'll get there
1: you've already broke that rule
0: I, w- look, all I'm saying is that owls are involved later in the show. Um, we're, we're not talking about how or why, all that stuff. So anyway. Oh, Oh, Duncan. <laughs> it's so early to be doing that. Uh, <laughs> so if you have never watched Twin Peaks then uh i encourage you to do so obviously we would not be doing this show if we both did not enjoy the show quite a bit um we are starting it uh, like it's available on dvd and blu-ray um i personally am watching this via the netflix uh, Oh, is it
1: on netflix in the states
0: it is on netflix in the states the first episode is the two-hour pilot
1: yeah
0: so that is what we will be covering tonight um, and like I said, we're, we're going to try not to tip our hands too much, uh, in terms of the, the mystery of Laura Palmer and, and, uh, in a way, Duncan, I think capture a bit of the magic of Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah,
1: this, but, but I, I mean, I, I don't know how you feel like, like I think we've spoken about we've kind of scuttered at that. It feels good to be doing Twin Peaks because we've referenced this particular TV show several times. Uh, whether advertently or inadvertently, during our discussions, not only of the movie side of things we were doing, but also when we were talking about things like *True Detective*, particularly season two, um, about how ahead of its time *Twin Peaks* actually was, and how it fundamentally, I, I believe personally, is one of the the key linchpins or keystones to the David this- Linchpin. The David Lynch pin. Oh, that is better than my who joke. Um, <laughs> how dare you, sir? How dare you do me on a show that I'm on? Um, but yeah, it, it, to how we now look at television. Like, I, I don't think without without Twin Peaks, you certainly don't have a, the rise of things like the X Files. I don't think you get TV shows like Lost. You know, th- these shows do not exist. True Detective, certainly, where you can start to to really go quite dark and quite surreal, but at the same time put forward an overarching story which will take you, you know, from point A to point B via all these different, uh, you know, kind of sub-stories and stuff like that. And David Lynch was really, whether he thought he was doing it at the same or, or you know, whether he was completely oblivious to it really did set out like a blueprint of how to to really go about modernizing a lot of how tv is consumed and experienced and twin peaks is like one of those tv shows that very 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 quickly had a rabid cult following of which i was one i remember when this aired in 1990 in the uk i think we were like months behind the usa on this one before it made its way over to the UK but and I was still a very young guy watching this I was you know I wasn't even in high school at this point I would still be in primary school as they call it over here and uh, I fucking loved this and this is before I was even fully aware of who David Lynch was but we watched this like weekly every week it came on um, and you know it was one of those things that was recorded and we sat down and watched it as a family and I absolutely adored it um, and we could not have picked a better time to sit down and discuss this TV show because we are mere months away from its return um, with a bigger budget and a lot of the same players in place a lot of A-list celebrity cameos that just the sheer list of the names is almost mind boggling but the fact that we get to come back with David Lynch uh um, who genuinely seems excited to be doing this, is incredible. And I, I, I can't wait. There, Like you say, there's a lot of people out there that did not catch Twin Peaks around the first time. And yes, this show has dated, in some cases, very cringeworthy, but there is so much in this TV show that, Now is the time to pick it up. If you're listening to myself and Bo, if you're stumbling across this podcast and have never checked out Twin Peaks, or you have seen Twin Peaks but have not seen it in a while, or you've just finished it, go back to the start, go back to the pilot episode, um, and episode number one, which we're going to be discussing on this show, because I tell you right now, this journey is going to be absolutely damn fine.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, Before we buckle up and head into the town of Twin Peaks... Uh, just to place this in a bit of time, because what you what you said is all right, uh, and I don't mean all right like it, it was an okay job. It was all correct. <laughs> it was all right. It was out of sight, Duncan. Sorry. Here are the other shows that are on in 1990. Oh right. Okay. Uh, the Simpsons premiered first first regular episode of The Simpsons. Uh, fresh prince of bel-air is on the air All right. cheers is still on the air
1: oh
0: roseanne is on the huh. air seinfeld had just premiered law and order uh which you know i mean i'm probably still on um <laughs> murder she wrote beverly hills 90210 the Wonder Years, uh, let's see, anything else that, like, Murphy Brown, The Golden what Girls, is. Parker Lewis Can't Lose, Quantum Leap, Columbo. I used
2: to love
0: Columbo. Uh, well, Columbo was doing the the movies, but stuff like Empty Nest, L.A. Law, like, all that stuff is on the air, you know, and, yeah. in addition to the the nighttime soaps like uh dynasty knots knots landing falcon crest all this stuff that preceded it and to get it out of the way right now twin peaks is soap opera as hell yeah
1: well that's what he was aiming for that's like david lynch wanted to make his take on a soap opera he wanted to create a surrealist soap opera and you like it's funny because like one of a uh, one of the people that follow the podcast under the stairs page recently started watching Twin Peaks and their first comment was my god this music is obnoxious and it keeps repeating all the way through it and I was like but that's deliberate because this is David Lynch showing you how tracks are used in soap operas if you watch any soap opera especially from the time that's how scores are used they repeat over and over and over again um, but yeah this is like super soap opera
0: yeah, it's, like you said, it's just David Lynch trying to do a soap opera, but because he's David Lynch, it can't help but be David Lynch-like, and, <laughs> and it's just full of weirdness and and wonderfulness, but the other thing I will say about the series before we actually jump into it is that there are a ton of stories about the, like, a murder in a small town that on... on like unravels all of the town's dirty secrets.
1: I mean, he did one himself. He did blue velvet.
0: Like, right. With Kyle. Five McCartan, years yeah. before.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, it's like he hadn't quite purged that story from, you know, from his, his being that he decided to expand and make something like infinitely weirder. And that's saying a lot. Cause blue velvet, I'll, I think it's probably, uh, arguably, Lynch's best movie or my favourite movie, anyway. Uh, and it is weird as hell. And he, you know, the fact that he has went, I mean, and like he's, it's, just, it's something he's never really shaked since then. If you look at something like Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, um, you know, he's went back to kind of doing that. Well, we're going to tell a story about, uh, you know. Some town or some place somewhere where the the very fabric of it starts to to unravel after something horrible happens, and we start to see that he has this particular way of looking at the uh, in particular suburban america the idea, and I think it's it's that kind of it's that reaction against the picket fences and the uh, you know the the all the all the all the grasses the same length and mowed on the same day, and everyone. Has their, you know, porcelain smiles and immaculate cars, and the men all go to work while the women folk all stay at home and, you know, bake apple pies or whatever it is they do in America. Um, you know, it, yeah, he, the, yeah he he likes to kind of he likes to take you behind the doors of these houses and show you what it's like, and in doing that, there is something very voyeuristic, but at the same time. You start to realise that you know yourself. Everyone, everyone is different, um, regardless how we all portray ourselves. Everyone's different behind closed doors. Yeah. I love that idea of things. I, I really think that, and I think he's one of the strongest voices in doing that. Um, I think against like you're, you've listed off a huge list of TV shows that are very much. They fit within certain boxes, certain confined tropes and ideas of what TV should be. And whilst Twin Peaks is basically, at its very core, one of them, but the delivery, the way it's put forward, the script to write, and everything else makes it just off to the side. There's like something unnatural about it, and I think that's why it is like there's one of the reasons it's remained so inherently fascinating what, twenty odd years on now, people still I mean the fact it's coming back is a huge deal. But even up to that point, people were still talking about Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks became part of the lexicon of discussing television. And there are very few shows that could do that. And very few shows that lasted as as little time as Twin Peaks did. In the grand scheme of things it had fizzled out within within two years it was gone. It had yeah. been cancelled. Um you know, driven away because, you know, people lost, started to lose interest in David Lynch's idea of what he wanted to do with it was so sprawling and so wide that it just couldn't be done on TV at the time. But it existed for, for less than two years, but but really did change the face of television in, in a way which, you know, is still felt now. Um, and what better time? What better time, Bo? For the show to come back and the golden age of television that we're having now, where all these shows have emulated and copied and tried tried to be pretenders to the throne and uh David Lynch and Mark Frost are bringing the show back uh to, I, to show us what they have.
0: Yeah, I liken it to George Miller doing another Mad Max movie. Uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where it's just like, All right, I haven't done one of these in about a quarter of a century and let me let me just step in and show these whippersnappers how it's done. Yeah. And and I'm, you know, fingers crossed that's what the return of Twin Peaks will be. Um but uh let's let's waste no more time here, Duncan. I, I feel like we've we've built it up enough uh both in terms of its historical importance to television uh to to what came later uh certainly. Mm-hmm. And uh and now it's just time to look at the beauty, the glory, the utter uh, oddballity.
1: <laughs> oddballity
0: is uh, amazing. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> that uh, that Twin Peaks brings to us. So um, we start off. Uh, you know, I, well, maybe it's worth mentioning just the opening credit sequence real quick. Um, I don't know that there's a more striking credit sequence to me personally uh because the first time i saw it the combination of the, like the angelo uh, battlementi score the sort of serene nature of of both the music and the visuals then mm-hmm. coupled with like the logging and all that stuff it, there's just something yeah. so atmospheric about it from jump
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh i that's all i have to say about it you want <laughs> i
1: i totally agree i think the the score is one of those things that is beautiful and haunting at the same time. Um, and the visuals... You, the thing about it is, like, I, I have never been to that particular region of America. Um, but you you, you really are... And, well, and neither is Agent Cooper, but we'll get to that. Um, but you feel yourself being swept up in opening credits, just the way it's shot, the... The the idea of serene beauty and industry that's kind of cold, juxtaposition side by side. And if you're sitting down to watch this for the very first time and those credits come on, you genuinely don't know at all where the show is going. Like, at all. It gives nothing away. Every other show, you think about the X-Files that comes... Like what, a year after this TV show officially finishes, we start getting some X-Files, and in the X-Files it's all fucking the truth is out there, aliens and pictures, flying saucers, FBI agents busting through doors, you know what I mean? It's like you, you without watching that first episode, just watching the credits, you're kind of like that, alright, I'm guessing aliens, I'm guessing the FBI, these must be our two main characters. You get none of that. You have a credit sequence which doesn't show any actors at all.
0: Just no, names. yeah. And especially at the time, you know, the, the gimmick was you either have a theme song that explains your premise, a la The, the first Prince of Bel-Air, or you have those, you know, uh, those kind of vanity shots where somebody will look at the camera and be surprised that there's a camera. Ellie Law. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and this just starts with this very stark opening, this really moody music. And then we see a shot of uh, Josie Packard. We learn is her name, the the lovely Joan Chen uh, from yes. uh, a number of uh, uh, of wonderful movies, including the Stallone Judge Dredd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm la. The, I'm I'm I just want to be a judge over here. I don't know what to be do. Uh,
1: best okay. thing about that movie, Rob Schneider, and
0: that is a sad, sad state of affairs. <laughs> uh, you should never, never, a, a, aside from a Rob Schneider starring film, the words the best thing about that was Rob Schneider should never come out of your mouth. Um, I mean, he's a fine comedic actor and all, but let's—he is—he is awful in, uh, <laughs> in in Judge Dredd. Uh, but nobody's good. Nobody comes out clean. On that <laughs> no, one. There's,
1: no one comes out smelling rosies from that movie.
0: Um, but back to Twin Peaks. God, we're we're just di- tangent after tangent. So, <laughs> all right. So uh, we start in Josie Packer, which is this really weird shot of her just kind of looking in the mirror and looking at herself. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. I can look at Joan Chen any time, but it's a weird opening. Because we Im- immediately go from that to... uh the the packard sister and and we'll get into the the turmoil here but uh anyway our our pal pete um is heading out for uh a little bit of fishing Mm -hmm. and uh give gives his wife or attempts to give his wife a little little peck on the cheek and she's having none of it because she's all pissed (laughs) off uh she's really the close like uh, for a uh, uh, an episode of a show that just presents potential villain after potential villain she yeah. is the only one that immediately is like she probably killed Laura Palmer um <laughs> i don't know i have no reason uh, to to attribute that to her she has no motivation to do so yet but i mean come on
1: yeah well, before we before we even see Laura Palmer's dead body girl like that i imagine she could have killed a girl.
0: <laughs> she Yeah, she probably murdered whoever it is that I haven't seen be murdered yet. Uh, so, so Pete takes off uh, to do some fishing, and he's listening to the lonesome sound of a foghorn uh, yep. when he spies uh, a, a a just mound of plastic near a fallen log. Mm-hmm. And he calls the police once he sees that there is actually human hair jutting from one end. And uh enter our police chief, uh Harry S. Truman. <laughs> which is wonderful.
2: <laughs>
0: you and, guys
1: do that over there, don't you? You like name your kids after like presidents and
0: shit like that. I I mean sometimes <laughs> sure, but I don't know that I've run into any Harry S. Trumans in my time outside of <laughs> outside of fiction. Um <laughs> But we so we get uh Sheriff Harry S. Truman, and uh when he takes the call, we are also introduced to the switchboard operator for the Twin Peaks Police Station, and, and I guess secretary of some kind, uh, Lucy, yeah. <laughs> who in typical David Lynch fashion describes the phone she's going to transfer the call to <laughs> Up to and including the desk and its position within the room that the sheriff is standing in.
1: Yeah, and it's... It's 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 tonally weird because we know there's a dead body and we have a man panicked on the phone trying to speak to the sheriff and then we get this oddly comedic scene of this this kind of receptionist, um, like you say, painstakingly describing how she's going to transfer the phone, and what phone it's going to transfer to while he is right in front of the phone. And then ultimately she gets down to, you imagine that of the three phones in that room, they're all different coloured and one of them must be brown. So when she's like, the brown phone, she could have just said that in the first place. Yeah. Um, But we've, we've, like you say, very typically David Lynch and the approach to this character.
0: Yeah, it's... it's really bizarre but as the show goes on you you start to realize that this show is this crazy mishmash of tones uh for example the next scene we come to is in fact um the initial investigation of the body uh where sheriff harry s truman takes his deputy andy and not deputy hawk who's my favorite um, <laughs> De- Deputy Andy with him. We're not playing favorites here, Bo. I, we certainly are, sir. <laughs> and Deputy Hawk is ten times the man that Deputy Andy is. Um, although I think in a weird way, Deputy Andy is almost David Lynch in this show. Alright. And and I'll explain why, but um, not right now. I'll do it later. Uh, no, it's... So they show up to, to identify and photograph this body. Andy is responsible for taking the crime scene photographs, but he really doesn't do a great job because he's too busy crying. Yeah, um, which
1: we find out he's done before. Yeah, as that,
0: well. We well, we get the tidbit that there has been another murder about a year before mm-hmm. and that Deputy Andy probably cried at that one too. And here's why I think he is the the Lynch surrogate in this story. Because his reaction is a total David Lynch reaction of I found this body, how horrifying, and I'm just sobbing. Mm. But it's played for laughs. Yes. And and there are a number of scenes in this episode and, and the show in general that if you change the music and the tone or the the just the tweaked it a little bit that the scene would take on a much darker tone than it does. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's just kind of the genius of Lynch of being like you know what, if we throw a little, uh, like, sexy music under here, this becomes kind of a seductive scene instead of something really terrifying. Um, And I think maybe that's how this show got on TV in the first place. Because it's dealing with, you know, themes of sex and abuse and and drugs and all this kind of stuff, but not in a sensational way like, you know, Law and Order or something like that. It's... you know, it's hyper-real, it's exaggerated, but there there is always a, a kernel of truth in these scenes. And when you kind of dig to that truth, you realize that the scene is kind of genius for the way that it's being portrayed. Yeah, um,
1: I mean, I think he did. I think he, like, genuinely, I think David Lynch pulled a fast one to get this on, on, um... on tv because i i don't think like when you when you when you examine it like i don't want to go off too tangentially at the moment but when you look at his catalogue of movies up until this point if i'm a tv executive looking to put out the hot new tv show and david lynch is
0: the guy bringing it
1: i'm looking at that back catalogue going all right. this is a guy behind a razorhead dune and Blue, you know, blue velvet
0: yeah had wild at heart come out at this point or this was i
1: think it had yeah i think i think it was just before
0: yeah wild i mean that. that movie is i i love it don't get me wrong wild at heart is maybe my eh, i don't know i really love it, it maybe not yeah. my favorite lynch movie it's but
1: the year before actually wild at heart came out in 1990
0: okay so at the same time like he made wild at heart and then jumped into twin peaks yeah and I, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to me because, like you said, uh, oh, oh so well, oh, oh, very eloquently, that Lynch is just the master of here's a small town, here's all the stuff that you can come to expect from a small town setting, and now let's start peeling back the layers and seeing what's underneath all of that. Yeah. Um, and, and he we... does,
1: it, it does it better than anyone. I don't, I can't, I genuinely, I mean, we speak about directors all the time and we describe them as having Lynchian. Kind of tones, but I don't think anyone does it quite like. It's like when you describe someone as being Hitchcockian. I mean, that's that's a great compliment, but like you, we never forget the reason that term is in the the you know the vocabulary of a, a like a film fan or a cinephile is because Hitchcock sets the standard. Um, and it's exactly the same when when you look at this. Lynch does it better than anyone, and just I I can't I can't imagine that. For TV, the fully new. I think that's probably why the show. Well, we're not going to jump at that just now, but why the show ended up where it did is just that people don't. The is like if you've ever heard David Lynch talk, I I can't recommend it enough. Go and check any interview with this guy on YouTube or on any of the special features of any of the movies that you own and listen to this guy talk. He is, for lack of a better word, an artist. It's like a full artist. He is. He's the embodiment of kind of artistic movie director. And as a result of that, sometimes it's very difficult to... You know, if Picasso was painting a painting in front of you, and it's going to take him 10 days to paint that painting, after three days, you you don't see what he sees. It takes him those full 10 days. And Lynch had this show running for, for years. That's what he wanted to run it on. It's very difficult to look at the, the beginning of a very long journey and extrapolate how that's going to finish especially when you're plowing quite a lot of money into it um and that's that's if anything that's you know that is i think as it went along you know maybe confidence was shaken but it's exactly what you said Bo. every scene in this and it's the it's the pure genius of this every single scene in this with one slight tweak of anything whether it's a delivery of the dialogue and um, the music used in the background even the change of position of a camera angle can take on a completely different meaning and that is that's incredible because you are given these horrible scenes um with just this little twist you know, this little david lynch twist at the side and the andy character breaking down is how you should feel you know you should feel horrified there's a young girl wrapped in plastic who's been found dead um you should feel that but it's very difficult when you see andy crying and the music playing in the background not to want to have a little chuckle yeah which is-
0: yeah but like you said that i think the human reaction is like oh my god a human being was just treated like garbage
2: mm-hmm.
0: and yeah it's anyway it, it, it's really something i will we'll try not to pause at every scene and be like. okay so here's why this scene is genius um but otherwise
1: this is going to be a long fucking short
0: yeah yeah and we got we got two seasons before we get to the new one (laughs) Um, so so we find the body wrapped and you know andy cries taking the pictures and then we cut to the uh palmer household because we've identified the body it's Laura Palmer, it's a local girl, she's a high school student, and uh, we we immediately jump to her home, where her mother is uh, chain-smoking, God bless her. Um,
1: different, table, different, di- table.
0: different time, boy. Different time. And is trying to just rouse her daughter to go to school. And, yeah. and then has that thing no parent wants to go through, where you realize oh, I don't know where my child is. She's not in her bedroom. And I also like the fact we don't really see her bedroom. We just see the mother go up the stairs and kind of open doors. And then you, you're you seeing her level of panic start to rise. She goes to call um, uh, Bobby. Bobby is uh, Laura's boyfriend. And yeah. uh, so she calls uh, Bobby's parents, uh, one of whom is a military gentleman. Yep. And his wife, uh, he will come. Like it, that's a guy who is all over this show, particularly I think in the uh, the second season more so than the first. He plays mm-hmm. a much larger role. But at any rate, um, he is. Uh, I'm trying to find his name. I apologize. I was looking for. Oh, the oh name I of remember Bobby.
1: him as Scully's dad.
0: Yeah, uh, Major Garland Briggs is his name. Mm-hmm. So um major garland briggs and the wife betty they get a call and uh they're like hey bobby took off uh early he was he's got to go to practice and all this stuff so maybe he picked up uh laura on his way to school and then she ends up calling um her husband leland palmer as played by uh, Ray Wise. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Ray Wise. Duncan. I
1: love Ray Wise.
2: <laughs>
0: um, he is. Love him. Yeah, I mean, he's amazing, and he's even more so, I think, in in this. Uh, I, yeah. There's something I really love about his character in this movie or in in this show. Um, but before that, we get a a brief glimpse, all too brief glimpse, of uh, the lovely Sherilyn Finn. Uh, as Audrey Horn
1: Audrey gives me the horn bow if you know what I'm saying
0: I you know what it is, <laughs> it's the shoes and I'm not talking about the red <laughs> shoes because Lynch likes to show off Audrey's uh, uh, shoes in, in this series mm-hmm. and the first time we see her she is leaving the lodge uh, where uh, her dad who's one of the, the town bigwigs is trying to woo some um, Dutch investors or uh no they're they're uh from belgium uh,
1: they're, they're Nor- norwegian or they not
0: oh i thought they were oh it is the norwegians the norwegians are leaving that's right um no it's the bell <laughs> all right i'll look I'll, I'll, we'll figure this out it's it, they're either norwegians or belgians but i could almost swear they were speaking french um <laughs> which would make them i don't know what are Bel- belgish <laughs>
1: One of those countries, one of those countries over in Euroland.
0: Yeah, yeah, one of the countries we don't allow access to anymore um, <laughs> here in the states. Wisely, wisely, Duncan. Um. So, but we see we see her leaving the lodge and getting in into the car where she is going to be driven to school, and she's got these 50 style like bowling shoes on, mm-hmm. and this like the her whole outfit is like Anne Margaret from 1963. Mm -hmm. and it is just adorable uh she is she is a a beautiful beautiful young lady in this show um so she's taken off to school i only mentioned that just so hey we have we have encountered audrey but now we're going to move back into the lodge where uh leland is talking with uh audrey's father um about trying to woo over these businessmen and and um they have like a, a plan to get back the uh, the sawmill uh, from Josie Packard and um, uh, I was trying to find yeah Richard Bamer is the actor's name Benjamin Horn is uh, his name Ben Horn Audrey's father. So uh, Benjamin is laying out uh, it is Norwegian I've confirmed laying out to the Norwegians um, like what a quality of life. Uh, that they they can have here in Twin Peaks that it's gorgeous you should be investing in this um the the they're basically doing a land development deal where they're going to have this big uh resort and golf course and all that kind of stuff and unfortunately the meeting is uh interrupted as um miss Palmer calls uh her husband Leland and says like hey have you seen or heard from Laura Palmer, our daughter. She doesn't say it like that, because nobody would. <laughs> this is Winter McLeish, my child. Um, yeah, that people don't talk like that, Duncan. Yeah, I can't believe you did that. Uh, so so she calls up and is, is like, hey, have you seen our daughter, Laura? And, she, and Ray Wise says, our human daughter? And she's like, yeah, that one. And <laughs> and as he's talking to her in comes sherry sheriff harry s truman mm-hmm. and on the other end of the line we, like we get the this cut between the scenes of the sheriff talking to leland as played by ray wise who is on the phone with, with his wife and he just completely forgets that he's on the phone yeah and it's this great juxtaposition of him realizing that his daughter is dead and his wife having an absolute meltdown on a phone that no one is listening to yeah oh it's It's very
1: powerful very 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 powerful scene and once once again i think it works really well because the previous scenes have been a bit goofy you know what i mean this is this is the we've, we've found the body that scene in itself should have been fairly terrifying and morbid but we've kind of played off a bit of levity there now we're getting the emotional impact on the parents and um that that has weight to it that has serious weight to it because you like you say you have the the realization of you already have the mother who's slightly hysterical that she is already thinking the worst you've got the dad who is trying to be the the kind of rock of the, the family, so to speak, you know, with the boyfriend, that's where she'll be, and all the rest, uh, you're know, trying to settle things down, he's the businessman, hysterical wife on the other end of the phone, he'll calm things down. Then his realisation that something is wrong, um, and like you say, <clears throat> the fact, as soon as he mentions the, the, you know, the police officer's name is coming in, the mother instantly starts to break into hysterics, he drops the phone, and... She just loses it. She absolutely loses it on the other end of the phone to no one listening. Um, And it's it's powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff. Even more so that, you know, obviously, uh, Benjamin comes out and he's like, yeah, right. Like, Come on, Leland, we need to get this, you know, get this deal back on track and all the rest. Uh, Oh, what's wrong? And then, you know, the the, the word set his mouth is, you know, my daughter is dead. Um, which is the ultimate confirmation that his wife hears through the phone, which sends him into even more fits of, you know, kind of emotional hysteria. It's a fucking great scene.
0: Yeah. And like you said, it's really powerful because, weirdly, this scene is played fairly straight. Mm-hmm. Um, which doesn't happen a lot. So, in, uh, from there, we move to the Double R Diner, uh, Duncan. Um as run by the uh, the lovely and talented Norma Jennings. Along with her is Shelly Johnson, as played by Matchin Amick, uh, who is an old crush of mine. Um, oh. oh, wait, I, I don't know what it I, I think it was uh, she did that uh, God, uh, I'm Dangerous Tonight movie. Where, oh, yeah. Where she puts on the red dress and gets all crazy. And uh, I don't know why. I think that was important to my puberty for <laughs> for some reason. Even though I think I was past puberty at that point, um, just latched on. Yeah, it was just like it was the the punctuation mark on on puberty. <laughs> uh, but so, Maginamic Amick uh, is a waitress. Uh, we also have Bobby, um, Laura Palmer's boyfriend, uh, as mm-hmm. played by Dana Ashbrook. Um, we won't mention the actors every time, but you know, let's give them their due. So, Bobby is hanging out at the diner, flirting a little bit with Norma, but uh once it's time for Shelley to go home, he offers uh to give her a ride home, and we quickly come to understand Duncan that Shelley and Bobby are having a little thing on the side, and
1: Don't filthy say be
0: six right i I felt like it was implied, but thank thank you for for pointing out to the <laughs> listeners so <laughs> You know, like, there's this discussion, like, when they get in the car, where he's like, hey, I think Norma knows that maybe we're, we're fucking. And she's like, nah, that's stupid. Uh, Norma uh, kind of has the, the hots for you, so she's not worried about me. And so Bobby ends up uh, taking her home, but then realizes as they're coming to her uh, her place that her husband's semi-truck, his rig we say that's that's sling, duncan uh here in america we call big trucks rigs uh um,
1: oh like garbage rig
0: yeah a garbage rig <laughs> uh a bin rig uh, that's such a callback,
1: that's I such a callback. <laughs> you,
0: have to, you have to have listened to uh the x-files uh shows to, to get in on that one
1: x-files but, new season episode 4 our episode on that one he does it that's a joke
0: yeah so we're we're doing T shirts later, uh, just the official Bin Lorry T shirt, <laughs> and I think the T shirt like we'll sell the two different versions: one in the U S. and one in the U K. and and in the U K. it'll it'll be it'll say it's called a goddamn Bin Lorry, and in yep. the U S. version we'll say it's called a goddamn garbage truck. Yep,
1: loving it. Yep, I'm absolutely that,
0: loving it. That's how you'll know your people if you see somebody wearing <laughs> that shirt. Yeah, I'm going
1: to just submit to you, see if you're fooling around with someone um, who is either betrothed or, you know, you know, living with someone who drives a big truck like that. Yeah, you stop, reverse and shit yourself because that's a serious vehicle, obviously driven by someone who is mentally unstable.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> as, as most of our listeners are. Um yeah. <laughs> So, so, Bobby fucks off once he realizes that the husband's home. hmm And, uh, Manchidamick, Shelly, uh, ends up going, going back inside. But we leave them, because Bobby, like, hauls ass, hauls ass back into town. And then we cut to the morgue, where Leland Palmer has shown up with Sherry, Sheriff. I don't know why I want to call him Sherry. Uh, <laughs> Sherry S. Truman. Uh, and Leland Palmer... <laughs> she- Go to the hospital where they are. Uh, Leland wants to identify the body, and so they, you know, they peel back the the plastic, they they flip on the lights, and then he starts crying and gives the my baby stuff, and is, you know, obviously devastated. His daughter's dead, Duncan. His daughter, the fruit of his loins, Duncan. I don't think you're. I, I don't think you're. You're feeling the full weight of this. I do, I do. His yes, child is dead, and Ray Wise is devastated. Yeah. So, uh...
1: No one likes to see Ray Wise cry.
0: No, no. God bless that man. Um,
1: national treasure.
0: Oh, yeah, he is, absolutely. Like, he's right up there with Brendan Gleeson, in terms of American <laughs> national treasure. <laughs> well,
1: at least treasure. he's American, and you've not claimed him. Right. That's another callback. They were just call back into everything now. It's <laughs> animation fucking three years of recording in this yeah, one
0: episode. This whole run is nothing but like fan service. It's it's like that fucking <laughs> uh, Force Awakens. Uh, this is the Force <laughs> Awakens of, of Duncan and Bo podcasts.
1: Yeah, don't upset the Star Wars listeners. We want them.
0: We're all right. Not, uh, no, I didn't say it was a bad movie. I said it was yeah, fan service. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there was nothing wrong with that. But all right. So we, so we go to Twin Peaks High School, TPHS. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, as seen by Big T's on the jackets. Alright, so a couple of things to mention here. First, we right, see also. Audrey smoking in her locker. Not at oh, her locker. She
1: is smoking. Um, oh yeah, she is actually smoking. Yeah,
0: yeah Right. She put, yeah. she takes off her bowling shoes, puts on some uh, sexy red heels, and lights up a smoke in, in her high school hallway. It's the best.
1: Because she doesn't give off.
0: Fuck. Aud- Audrey is rich as shit. And she is, as we'll come to see in a later scene, she is pretty much the Joker from The Dark Knight.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Michael Caine's in the background going and saying, Master Wayne, some people just want to see the world.
0: <laughs> right, right. You know, don't take that pencil out of the cup, Master Wayne. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you do it. You do a better Michael Caine. <laughs>
1: I've got a whole sub-story now running for Audrey Horn, which is hilarious. <laughs> like, like, like setting two boats rigged to explode, and one has criminals, and the other one has, like, civilians. Well... <laughs> tick-tock, tick tick-tock.
0: The thing is, uh, you're never gonna get the real story of her background, because no. it's always gonna change.
1: Yeah, and if you ever wanted to tell the truth, you need to say, Swear to me!
0: Yes. Yes. Oh, God. So good. Uh... <laughs>
1: Audrey Horn is good, but yeah, she, she's from she's from affluence. Um, school is a distraction, um, regardless whether she does well in school or not. She is the heir to quite a lot of money, um, and as such, she likes to play games at school.
0: Yeah, it, with everyone, like young, old, doesn't matter. She is the world is there to entertain her, and what I like is. That is never explicitly said in, no. in the show. Like, her character is totally revealed by her actions, which are fantastic. Uh, in this case, she's only in the scene briefly. She's kind of like, hey, you know, I'm here smoking, changing my shoes. I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with you later. And then we see that uh, Donna, as played by Lara Flynn Boyle, mm-hmm. uh, Donna is the, uh, the daughter of the local uh, doctor. Um, she has a sister named Harriet that we'll get to in a bit and who is, is, I think has one of the funniest scenes, but (laughs) we'll get to it. Um, and Donna is meeting briefly with James, who is like kind of a, a motorcycle kid. We don't totally know. Um, exactly what their relationship is at this point.
1: He's dark, mysterious, and broody.
0: He is. Oh boy, does he have the market cornered on brood?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, between him and Bobby, it's just—it's a brood fest. It's brood fest ninety, <laughs> Duncan. And you know who's going to be there? Chubba Wumba. Oh, say
1: <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> what what they are is they're 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 brood bros.
0: They're, yeah. Uh, hashtag hashtag brood bros
1: that's gonna that's you know that's gonna take off
0: I I can only hope um (laughs) so there is kind of a break in this scene after we see you know establishing like oh Donna and James know each other and they're certainly friendly and they're talking about meeting up later Mm -hmm. and then a kid break dances across the screen yes And as he's doing so, we see uh, Sheriff Harry S. Truman uh, show up at the school as well. Mm -hmm. And it turns out they have some questions for Bobby. Not uh, one of our brew bros. Hashtag brew bros. Uh, But he (laughs) he is not the biker one. He is the, hey, I'm the football player. I'm kind of a jock. Although he has the hair of a biker. Or at least... As presented yeah. in this universe, it's,
1: it's weird. He's, his character, his character's appearance, doesn't quite make sense to the kind of demographic he's fitting in with. Especially when you see his best friend, who is very much like the all-American jock. Um, it doesn't quite equate. But then I'm thinking, small-town America, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's once again it's Lynch playing with you know cinematic perceptions to an extent and he, he has a playfulness about it. There's a <clears throat> it would not surprise me if uh, Dana Ashbrook got the role as Bobby Briggs purely because of the way he looked. Yeah. He has a very striking face like, he, like we'll, we'll talk about some of his actions later on, but some of his facial expressions display rage, um Joy and a manicness in a way which is is captivating completely. If you're talking about the Joker, here is a guy who <clears throat> would make a, a very like visually looking would make a very interesting Joker. He, he, yeah. he has the he, he, in some ways his, his face reminds me a little bit of William Defoe but less Defoe. Um, if that makes sense. He just has a very a big smile and wide eyes. And there is something quite a uh, predatorial about it. And it kinda of works in with the character, even though his look is very much the, the biker look. Um and that's you know, that's just that's just how he looks. He is the in this universally all American joke boy thing. But he's not at school. He's still he's he missed out on his opportunity for some morning sex with a waitress, and now he's cruising. We can only imagine he's cruising about for a little drive or whatever. He's not at school, so when the police show up to talk to him, he is not there. And what I love about this as well is, things. this is small town America, so things are moving quick. Body has been discovered. Parents have been notified. Police are now at the school. So we're working, like, tight time frame here of... You know, like, things are just getting done. There's no red tape or bureaucracy that are stopping this information coming out. This is small town people talk quick. So as a result, things are moving at military pace here, and now the police are at the
2: school.
0: Yes, and to heighten the weirdness, uh, we see the police come in looking for Bobby mm. into in, into the classroom where we have Donna, James, and Audrey. Yes. Who does a little finger wave when she is announcing her presence in class that I also really like. Um, She is just the best. I love Audrey in the show. And (laughs) I kind of want her and Deputy Hawk to get together. Um, (laughs) So.
1: fan fiction i'll
0: tell you hey we haven't haven't seen the new season yet duncan is all i'm saying it's probably (laughs) well i think they're
1: both i think they're both in it as well
0: yes and i it's i think i think duncan it's all set on a spaceship Um, (laughs) uh do you think our new name is audrey hawk (laughs) audrey hawk and uh (laughs) and just to tie it in with every other show we've done uh you know fbi agents show up to investigate again And uh, Audrey uh, is actually a a robot that has to pretend to be human.
1: Yeah. She kills people wearing a large crow head. Yes. Mask. Yeah. That's every show we've done.
0: Yeah. I think we're good. (laughs) Um, That's just for you fans.
1: Okay. And once again, of all the other shows that we've talked about, I would not put that uh, past David Lynch at all. (laughs) And Lynch's mind, that whole scene that we've just described totally makes sense.
0: That's pretty good, he would that's say. A
1: pretty, that's a really good
0: David Lynch. Oh, get used to it, son.
1: Uh... <laughs> my favorite, like slight tangent, but my favorite thing is that is when he was talking about people watching movies on their telephones. It's like you won't get the majesty, you won't get the the experience watching it on your fucking phone.
0: Oh, he is. I I and you know David Lynch uh, mild spoilers here David Lynch appears in the show as an actor and it's always wonderful uh because it's always weird it's David Lynch doing da- David Lynch shit and that's what we all want um oh but all right so the the point I was going to make before <laughs> is that uh it, like there's this great sense of ratcheting things up because we have the the cops show up in this home room then Donna looks out the window and literally sees a girl crying and running across the campus. Yeah. And then there's this announcement of like, oh, the principal's about to make this this, you know, big PA announcement and
2: she looks at the empty chair.
0: Yeah, and then the teacher looks over and then Donna follows her eyes and boom, empty chair where Laura Palmer ought to be. There's a meaningful exchange between uh james and donna uh that suggests that perhaps they might know something and donna yeah. just starts crying you know like, no
1: one else like, the weird thing about it once again Barry david lynch um like everything we're going to say about the show very david lynch is she bursts into tears and out with james james's reaction no one around her has a reaction like, even to, yeah. why is my classmate crying? It's this it's this very weird kind of singling out of one character's emotions while everything else remains unchanged or unfazed. Um, incredibly powerful as well. And James, obviously, when, when the realisation comes to him, he has a pencil in his hands and snaps a pencil in half with his hands. Um, not really showing too much, like, on his face. His face is like, remember, uh, Brood Bros, his face is very broody. Uh, eyes water up a little bit but not much um compared to how donna
0: breaks down yeah yeah i it, it again it's lynch in the background just being like Lara, cry <laughs> more <laughs> uh so, That's so good It's so good so the two the, seasons of this, i can't wait i know uh, three son uh so three <laughs> So the police sit Bobby down, and they, they tell him that Laura's dead. And like you said, you know, there's the, the pencil snap and all. And he immediately is like, I, you know, I loved her. She loved me. I, is she, How is she dead? Do you think I did it just because I didn't show up to football practice? All that stuff. And then we have uh, the announcement over the PA that, in fact, Laura Palmer is dead. And at that yeah. this point... Donna loses it Um, cry more uh, and and then and then we end on kind of the iconic shot of the show which is like the homecoming picture of Laura Palmer in the school display case that we tighten up on and then we cut from that to the same photo inside the Palmer home yeah uh, almost as if a, a a really auteur director was making a TV show. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this guy knows what
2: he's doing.
0: <laughs> right, and so we we come in in time for them to dope up Mrs. Palmer real good because she's real upset and then just starts to get all like, oh, I guess I'm just gonna stare at the ceiling now. And but they sedate her enough that Sheriff Harry S. Truman, who's there can question her and ask her, like, hey, when did you see her last time? She says, Ah, it's about nine o'clock last night. And and one thing I don't want to gloss over too much. This show, when it came out, the death of Laura Palmer, and I think this is why the show ultimately was canceled. It was the mystery of who killed Laura Palmer that yeah. <laughs> just captured everyone's imagination, not again appreciating the fact that they're watching a David Lynch show and the the actual identity of the murderer doesn't really matter. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's the,
1: it's the, the vehicle in which you're introduced to the world, as opposed to being the center of the world. Um, which any other show focuses on that. You've got remember the climate that you have people coming up in, um, like television viewers want that who shot Jr. (laughs) You know what I mean? These things capture the imagination of people that watch TV um, there's no surprise that when you jump to something like the X Files right after this, the <clears throat> the mystery of Mulder's sister becomes this this huge weight that that show had to carry, and it very very much buried that show um, because the 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 eventual answer to that question is never as exciting as the journey to get to it, um, and Twin Peaks becomes this like you say becomes this iconic like nationwide i mean that's how it was sold to the uk as well over here was the investigation to the mystery about this girl who we're going to find out more about every single episode but she's dead and we need to find out who the killer is and david lynch is purely using this as a vehicle to introduce you to the world of twin peaks um, and we're going to get there but you know let's 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 enjoy the journey and all the characters subplots and all the stories are going to twist and wind and sometimes one episode maybe we'll look at this but other episodes will really veer off and look at other aspects and that's a that's a, a when you have so much attention on the show it's a very difficult weight to carry um And also to hold the interest, the sustained interest of not not only the audience, but the critics as well, who loved this show when it started. I mean, this show was so highly praised when it came out that, you know, right from that, but you've set the bar so high right at the start as an almost Herculean task to maintain that right through to the very end.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. And also... The fact that the show isn't really about the murder, as you said, and when you make that hard turn into season two, and it's just like, oh no, we're just exploring the weirdness of this town, I I think some people fell off. And I, I know I have my. Like, I think season one's way better than season two.
1: It'll be interesting to see because I've never. Like, I've watched it obviously several times, but I've never. I've never critically watched it, you know. I've never uh, yeah. like fully dissected the second season to see what the fuck is going on with it. That I don't know if it, there's going to be one or two things. But we're either going to grow to have a new appreciation for season two, or when we reach it, we're going to like it less because we're going to realise that maybe some of the, not even the credit, but some of the things we we'll let it off with, um, won't stand under intense scrutiny.
0: Yeah, I, I'm curious about that myself, because it's been a while uh, since I've watched the second season. I watched the first season only I don't know, about a year and a half ago, but the I, I kind of stopped there. I was like, you know what? Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll watch the second season some other time. Uh, yeah, once,
1: it, once me and Duncan get a show going about it, we'll, but, one day maybe. I,
0: I'm I'm kind of psychic, Duncan. I don't talk about it a lot, but... <laughs> um, so, we're, back at the, the Palmer home, uh... Deputy Stringfellow Hawk and uh, Mister Palmer Leland are up in uh, Laura's room, and Deputy Stringfellow Hawk is uh, going through her stuff, and they find um, a camera. Uh, They find a diary, and you know, obviously, a locked
1: diary as well.
0: Right, it is locked, and you know, in in the interest of uh, preserving. Uh, a little bit of decorum, they uh, they don't bust it open right there. They're actually hunting for a key, which is stupid, but, you know. In- <laughs> enter Dale Cooper. He'll strain shit out. Um, so, uh, Leland is kind of sitting on the bed all, you know, my daughter deadified, where he's kind of mopey and, and in shock.
1: Uh, grieving,
0: Bo. The word is grieving. I don't know what you humans call it, Duncan. All I know is what I observe. Um... <laughs> but so deputy hawk is is in there with him and then downstairs uh sheriff truman is questioning um you know miss palmer and trying to get an idea of what time laura might have left the house and um then we move from that into uh back to the the sawmill where josie packard is saying like hey we need to shut the the place down for the day because it turns out that a phone call comes in and there's another missing girl.
1: Yeah, one of the workers in the plant's daughter's is missing.
0: So. Right. And so Pete, who seems to be a pretty good guy, is sort of on board with Josie Packard and his wife, Catherine Packard, who, again, is the sister of the Packard who died, uh, who owned the sawmill. Um, she is kind of running the day-to-day operations, And she's like, I'm not shutting down the sawmill. That's money. And uh, Joan Chin, as uh, Josie, uh, is like, "Uh, fuck that. I own this place. So we're going to shut it down. And then she makes this announcement that's actually really nice where she says, uh, you know, we're going to close down today. There's been a death in the community. Another girl's missing. Um, We're going to shut down all operations. And I, I suggest to you that you go home and spend the days with your family. Yeah. and uh which is kind of nice but more importantly it is Catherine being a, a real see you next tuesday <laughs> because the first thing she does is like after uh josie is like you know we're we're shutting this down whether you say or so say so or not because i own this place she walks out of the office down the steps and the first guy that she runs into she's like what's your name and he's like fred troyer and he's like right you're fired and just is a bitch i am not duncan a fan of that word but boy i don't know what better way to describe it she is a dyed in the wool bitch um, so so it,
1: we we tra- we transition from this scene which is obviously like once again, one of mourning, one of grief, but slightly sweet at the same time with the, you know, this idea of spending time with your family. We transition that scene right into uh, a missing girl walking, bloodied, torn nightdress along a desolate train track back towards Twin Peaks. Yeah, wh- Which I think once again is this great, it's a great way just to continue the story and moving along nice and like at a brisk pace, but without being rushed we're right into this next part
0: yeah i mean we're we're kind of a third of the way through the pilot at this point point. Mm-hmm. and you you already have established pretty much all your major characters well you know there are a couple more on the way but a lot of them a lot of the world has been established by now plus the murder plus the other girl you know it's really efficient storytelling it's really really well done yeah um, and did I say ropes on her, her wrists and ankles?
1: Yes. All no, right. we didn't say that. All
0: right. I, I just want to point that out. Cause I thought that was like, to me, that's almost more horrifying is yeah. not only is she all, all beat up and, and clearly has been assaulted to one degree or another. Um, she was tied up, you know, um, yeah. really disturbing. So we, we see that scene and then we go to, uh, oh, what is it, Big Ed's fuel farm? Yeah. Uh, Gas farm, sorry, Big Ed's gas farm. Gas farm. And James pulls up, and Ed, uh, as played uh, by Everett McGill, everybody's favorite werewolf uh, priest.
1: And everyone's favorite gimp-wielding, psychopathic, shotgun mutant house owner
0: yeah yeah and like if if you were an everett G- mcgill fan you might name a podcast after a, a <laughs> lesser wes craven movie because of your love for <clears> <throat> everett throat> mcgill throat>
1: and, and it's worth saying as well like, like everett mcgill and his his wife in this one played the the father and wife combo and uh the the greatly superior wes craven outing uh some people would say better than scream. Eh, that's not me. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> get the people under the stairs.
0: Yeah, all right. So <laughs> let's talk about his wife for just a second. We
1: only like, s- one of these. Z- this is like this is a zany Lynch character.
0: Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it's, I don't,
1: it's difficult not to think that when you see her, you're just like, why has she got a pirate patch on her eye? <laughs>
0: Yeah, so Nadine Hurley, his wife, has a patch over one eye, and the first introduction to this character is her leaning out and saying, Ed, did you pick up the drapes?
1: Yeah, the drapes.
0: Yeah, and and that's really all the explanation we have. Uh, and, and we'll get to it, but it, it's worth mentioning right now, Cause that's gonna that that's a seed that bears fruit. Duncan mm-hmm. um, is Nadine and the drapes, and but uh, you know Ed seems to know James um, is like a, a very almost a father figure. I think to James in a way that his own father is not. Um.
1: Well, they say that they say that um, James's mother tends to leave town quite a lot. When she does, um, Ed looks after make sure he's okay. Yeah. Stuff like that. So he is like a, a, on some level, like an adopted dad. So to
0: speak. And Ed's a good dude. He's a great dude. You know, he is
1: also worthwhile. He's a great dude, but we will also stress he's having an affair, but we'll get to that. But he's a great dude.
0: He is. He is. His wife has
1: an eye patch and is concerned with drapes. So maybe we forgive him the, the affair. I don't know.
0: I think the affair is the most logical thing in this show. Um, <laughs>
1: It's the only, it's the only realistic thing we can anchor
0: ourselves to. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> um, but I, I, I love Ed. Uh, he, he's, he is a stalwart character. Like he is, he is the guy that people can come to, and he's a voice of reason. He's a good guy. He's going to stand up for people. I, I, I got a lot, of, lot of love for Ed. But Duncan, it's time to get to. What some might argue is the central character of this show, yes. uh, and that would be Agent Dale Cooper, Special Agent Dale Cooper, as played by Kyle MacLachlan. Um It it begins with one of my favorite monologues to introduce a character ever.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things here. like you mentioned earlier on. We've raced through about a third of this episode, and now we're getting our central character is now coming in and it is one of my favorite entrances like to a character. Just like there's something about Kyle McLaughlin. I think, I think he's a, he's kind of almost like a Bruce Campbell, if you know what I mean. He's one of these actors that could have went on and done huge, huge things. He had the look, he certainly has the talent, but he, I he never became a list and I'm quite glad I never became a list. Um, and he plays this role brilliantly. He's the he's the yeah. kind of on some level he's the he's the prototype. Once I keep saying X Files, but really you would not have X Files without Twin Peaks. He is a kind of prototype Mulder to an extent, minus all the doom and gloom, but with all the enthusiasm and the you know the search for you know like when Mulder's at he's most animated and searching for the truth and excited to be in the the hunt for the the answers to the questions that's what Dale Cooper is all the time yeah um, constantly all the way through it and yeah he's opening the monologue it's, 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 there's so many quirks to this character that I just love
0: yeah I'm like just that, that, at this point we're, I will drop in the monologue just so everyone yes. gets both barrels of this thing Diane
3: 1130 AM February 24th entering the town of Twin Peaks it's 5 miles south of the Canadian border 12 miles west of the state line never seen so many trees in my life. As W.C. Fields would say, I'd rather be here than Philadelphia. 54 degrees on a slightly overcast day. Weatherman said rain. You get paid that kind of money for being wrong 60% of the time and be working. The mileage is 79,345. Gage is on reserve. I'm riding on fumes here. I got to tank up when I get into town. Remind me to tell you how much that is. Lunch was, uh... $6.31 at the Lamplighter Inn. That's on Highway 2 near Lewis Fork. That was a tuna fish sandwich on whole wheat, slice of cherry pie, and a cup of coffee. Damn good food. Diane, if you ever get up this way, that cherry pie is worth a stop. Okay. Looks like I'll be meeting up with the uh, Sheriff Harry S. Truman. Shouldn't be too hard to remember that. He'll be at the Calhoun Memorial Hospital. If we're going to go up to intensive care and take a look at that girl that crawled down the railroad tracks off the mountain. When I finish here, I'll be checking into a motel. I'm sure the sheriff will be able to recommend a clean place, reasonably priced. That's what I need. A clean place, reasonably priced. Oh, Diane, I almost forgot. Got to find out what kind of trees these are. They're really something.
0: Oh, so good. And it's the first time he mentions a clean place and reasonably priced which also yep. <laughs> is one of my favorite jokes of the episode. Yeah. Uh towards the end, but it is it's it like it, everything you said is is 100% right. Uh Kyle McLaughlin is amazing in this. He knocks it out of the park in this performance. He is weird, he's eccentric, he is enthusiastic, but he's also in kind of that Sherlock Holmes vein, a a a kind of brilliant investigator. Yeah. But it is so in awe of the world around him. Mm -hmm. And like one of the first things that happens is he talks about the, the trees in the area as he's driving down this highway, as as you will have heard. And it is that kind of thing. Like he is, he is fascinated by the culture of this town. I think in the same way that David Lynch himself is.
1: Yes. Yes. uh,
0: So, I mean, you know, I mean, deputy Andy is clearly the Lynch surrogate. But, uh, there is something to be said for Kyle McLaughlin. Like, he, he is as close as the audience has to a character to grab hold of. Yes, uh, yes,
1: very much so. Because everybody else gonna, is fucking weird. Yeah, he's going to take us... I mean, he is a, he's a weird guy as well when you think about it, but he's weird in a way which... which feels a bit more grounded. Um... And he will be the character who will pose the questions for the audience and answer a lot of the questions that the audience will have moving forward. But always in this enthusiastic way, which I think gives the show that, that I mean, we, it's small town. Uh, there's a lot of characters that speak a bit slow. Um, the piece of the the town is a bit slow and he is this adrenaline shot this enthusiasm this this need to, to, to press the story on which you need and i think that's one of the reasons you can you, you can anchor to him. I think as well just i think he's just one, i i genuinely is one of my favorite characters ever in tv um and one that he very much there was a reason i, I made the Bruce Campbell comparison Uh, Kyle McLaughlin has very much played into for the last couple of years anyway before they even announced the show was coming back has continued to play into the cult of Dale Cooper his Facebook page is brilliant his Twitter is amazing and it always comes back to coffee and pie and you know all these things these catchphrases that he, he had in the show He's he's very much followed into very much the same way that Bruce Campbell does Groovy and you know and all the rest. It's it's that it's, it's such an iconic performance that you sometimes forget. I think sometimes forget how great that opening scene is. It's perfectly placed. It's the, the it's the perfect introduction to a character um, because it pretty much encapsulates everything we need to know about this guy through a monologue the train of thought the way his brain works very scattered but at the same time focuses on on things with a kind of precision and clarity his love of of uh, of coffee and his love of pie uh, or food in general
0: yeah donuts (laughs) let's not exclude because the man loves a good donut um Mm -hmm. he, he seems kind of fascinated with not only small town life but but sort of like the small town police and yeah. it, like it's almost like if if Agent Dale Cooper was uh, an alien that had been sent to Twin Peaks to investigate, that's kind of his character because he's always surprised by the behavior, the location. Like not just surprised, but also kind of pleasantly surprised by in some cases. Um, and. You know, again, this is a very knowing show. The show knows what it is. Yeah. And and the creators of the show know what, what it is. And there is a line in his first meeting with uh, Sheriff Harry S. Truman that I think exemplifies to me what makes Twin Peaks so wonderful. There, it, It's when they meet at the hospital and they're walking down the hallway. And it's one of those shots of the camera kind of dollying back as they're walking towards it. And uh, Kyle McLaughlin, as Agent Cooper, says, Sheriff, let me stop you in the hallway here for just a second. Yeah. And it is one of those things of like, you know what? All they're doing is saying what characters in these shows do. But when you hear a character say it, it's like, why would you ever say it that way? It, it's yeah. just, it's so wonderful. And it, but it's, you know, agent Cooper saying like, Hey, I'm in charge here. You have to be cool with that. And and the sheriff is, and it, it's the start of the relationship between agent Cooper and, and sheriff uh, Truman, which is another relationship I actually really like. Um, but the whole thing, like you can see the scatter shot way of his thinking
2: mm-hmm.
0: because he, he jumps from that to listen, I need to ask you something. What's the name of those trees that I saw on the way up? Also, I'm going to need a copy of the coroner report. Also, yeah. let me see the the patient. You know, all that stuff. And it's just this rapid fire. I, I couldn't be happier to be the agent investigating this. I have so many questions. Some of them are not related to the investigation, but they're still important to me. And I'm going to ask them in the order I see fit. And
1: it's interesting as well, because what they do in the show, like... It's not normal, like, being a foreigner, but and uh, not knowing exactly how American investigations go, but already knowing that they have mentioned that there has been a murder already um, a year or so ago in the surrounding Twin Peaks area, it doesn't really make sense why an FBI agent would be there. Not a federal crime. Well, you know they I mean?
0: they mention that because they say that Runette, uh, who, the, the name of the girl that we see on the, the train tracks, that... Yeah. In the process of wandering down those train tracks, she had crossed state lines. Yeah. Which then makes it an FBI. So, you know
1: what I mean? So, like, they they tie it in super quick. So, the reasons, but we get a bit more information really, really quick after that, which links actually Cooper's overall interest in the case. And on some level, it explains a bit more of his kind of enthusiasm because you know it's, this is like a murder and a kidnap and what, what but during the autopsy he finds something which he has suspected on his journey on the way up it's part of the reason he's taking the case um, or being assigned the case is his involvement with something which has happened before which i quite like and it's all done once again military precision yeah super quick like let's just get this this is the pilot we need to get a lot of stuff out the way here but it doesn't it still feels measured in a way where nothing's happening where you're like oh what what was that right i need to stop and it's just like right this is a scene this is a scene this is a scene let's keep going let's keep going um and you're right it's, it's like it's like scattershot questions and all the rest but now we're we're gonna go and check out the body
0: yeah and before we get to the body uh we are sidetracked by one dr Jacoby. Uh, who is played by Russ Hamblin Dr. Jacoby um, is a therapist who
1: I you can say a weirdo
0: <laughs> that's true as well, but this is a David Lynch show so you know it like t- describing a character as a weirdo in this show is sort of like saying uh they are one of the oxygen breathing characters on the show
1: uh it comes out of a room with two elongated Noise defenders sticking out his ears, wearing wait, wait, an wait. outfit.
0: I gotta stop you there. Yeah, you don't call him earplugs.
1: I was going to say earplugs, but then I thought you were going to tell me that in America they were called something
0: else. So. Well, clearly not noise defenders, because I think that well, is I an ill-fated comic. Well, I don't DC know, you
1: garbage trucks. So, I mean, that doesn't make <laughs> any sense to anyone over here at all. But it sounds like you're speaking nonsense. Um, so, so <laughs> I, just I was want trying to make to...
0: sure that it wasn't some crazy Duncanism or something.
1: Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's ear Earplugs is what we would call them over here. I just don't know what they call them over there. So
0: earplugs? Have to... It's the name of the thing.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I, I I see earplugs, and then you're like, "That what is this weird Scottish phrase? This doesn't make any sense. Why are you calling them plugs?" But you know, like, so,
0: in anticipation of that, you went with the weirdo description.
1: Of- I went I went to the the functionality of what they do as opposed to what you call them, <laughs> which is how you listen is which is how you justified the terminology garbage truck, right? right. Was the function of what of which it does in the vehicle which it's in. This, right, so yeah. This little I, I, thing plugs your ear. Was noise defenders, because noise defenders are what they do. They defend your ears from noise. So I was just playing by your rules, Bo. They I also, can't help it that your rules are not steady and concrete.
0: Oh, well, the English language is just riddled with exceptions. But, <laughs> but uh, like, earplug is, is again, the function of what it does. It, it plugs your ear. Yeah. Garbage truck, function of what it does. <laughs> it's a truck that carries garbage.
1: Ben Lorry. Uh, <laughs>
0: Alright, yeah, so, so, it
1: comes out with these, like, ridiculous, huge, like, almost comically huge, probably because they are being used for comedic effect, um, earplugs, wearing an outfit which would his, have been judged harshly in the 70s.
0: His tie from. has a hula dancer on it, and her it's not skirt... not the worst
1: tie he wears in this, though. So no. Not the worst tie.
0: But the skirt has uh, separate frills, so it's this yeah. frilly mess hanging off his tie it's the guy looks like a madman and it
1: does and which is ironic when you find out that he is psychiatrist
0: (laughs) right and and lets it spill like first of all invites himself to the autopsy or or to the the morgue and they're like she's not allowed to do right and they're like why do you why do you want to be there and he's like oh i don't know i thought i could be of help because she was my patient and her so parents like, right, didn't. but
1: Ladies and gents, take a note of that. Remember how we said we're going to throw things for closer examination moving forward? Take a note of that. Right. Laura Palmer seeing a psychiatrist, a very weird psychiatrist, who is concerned about the body.
0: Yes. And exactly. and unbeknownst to her parents is she seeing this psychiatrist. Like,
1: well, he stresses that. Please don't yes. tell them because they didn't know.
0: Right. So then we, we ditch him because everyone rightfully is like, you don't belong in that room. And then they go to the uh, the examination under flickering fluorescent lights, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is a uh, kind of a flub that was left in the show. Oh, I did not know when, that. When they went to, to the set, uh, the fluorescents were having trouble, and David Lynch, rather than say, you know, get somebody in here to fix it, he was like, I love it! And... <laughs> And, and said, like, keep it in and we'll, we'll throw in a line about it. Uh, there's there's one other moment that I know of that, like, a thing screwed up and Lynch did the... <laughs> I love it! Yeah, and, and then, it's, it's,
1: like, one of the best, most iconic things that ever yes. happened in the show. Um, and we're going to talk about that also uh, coming up. But yeah, th- th- this is... It weirdly fits... The, the kind of flickering light weirdly fits... The show as well because of the use of strobe lighting later on. There's this, this, you know what I mean? Repetition of oh, yeah. kind of strobe lighting. So, so even, even at this point, it's not, it's not like like you say it could be just a throwaway thing. I, I quite like that. To me, it makes it feel more realistic because sometimes everything's a bit too artificial when everything's always working all the time. Um,
0: yeah, and there, uh, there's kind of a weird callback to that later too of of, of the flickering lights, but. Um, so what we discover in in the examination room is that Laura Palmer under her ring finger, under the nail of her ring finger. Uh, right under there as well. Yeah, like, you really got to go digging for it. And uh, they, uh, so Agent Cooper gets some tweezers and pulls out a letter cut from a magazine. In this case, the letter R. Mm -hmm. And once he finds that, Sheriff Truman, again very rightfully, says, Hey, when are you ever going to tell me what in the hell is going on around here? Like, how (laughs) did you know that there was going to be this letter under her fingernail? And he says, Sheriff, you and I have a lot to talk about. But not then. Because we now cut to uh, Big Ed's gas farm again, and um, Donna is there with Big Ed, who hands her a note that James has given him to tell Donna to meet James at the roadhouse after 9.30. Which is nonspecific. I'm not crazy about that. But it's just like, well, not at 9.30, just after 9.30. Like, (laughs) I got... I got shit until 9. It's going to take me a half hour to get there. 9.30, any time after that, I'll be there.
1: Especially how it plays out afterwards, it does feel kind of... We'll get to it, but it does feel kind of woolly. And a show that has so much attention to detail elsewhere, this is a bit woolly. um, And not
0: wholly satisfying. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the little things that... Like, if we're going to pick apart this episode, that's... A minor thing that bothers me but there, there's mm. so much goodness because all right so her her boyfriend shows up donna's yep. boyfriend who oh what the hell is his name he's he's such a douchebag blockhead yeah <laughs> he's he's bobby's running buddy uh yep. mike is his name so mike shows up uh in his car and demands that they go to the police station where bobby's being held because they need to be supportive and donna's like my best friend just died dickhead (laughs) and he's he's like whatever get in the car and to big ed's credit he's like you know what not on my watch pal uh how about how about you shake your ass on out of here and and mike does because nobody wants to mess with big ed and then of course uh nadine uh (laughs) pokes her head out and is like drapes um she
1: wants some uh, by tonight
0: yeah yeah it's so dumb, but it's so good. So, (laughs) um, we, we shift from that into, uh, the questioning or not, not quite yet. We, we go into some investigative stuff where, um, Sheriff Truman is saying, Hey, here's what we collected from, uh, the Palmer house. Here's this videotape. Also, here's this diary, but we can't find the key and agent Cooper, uh, just, muscles it apart yeah and the clasp goes flying and everything and he gives a great look like huh i guess it fell off and (laughs) and so he reads a bit from the diary and a lot of it's mundane i think the first entry is something about asparagus uh yeah you know diane she enjoyed asparagus and (laughs) uh, but we also find within the diary the key to a safety deposit box mm-hmm. that has some white residue along yes. in, oh, with the bag.
1: He rec- he reckons straight away that it may be cocaine. I uh, yeah for, I, our, uh, for our Scottish listeners over here, some Charlie,
0: some blow, some, some yayo, yes. uh, some uh, some white. <laughs> oh, what is uh, some powder, some snow? Uh, right, Scarface? Some, <laughs> some some Phony
1: Montana on the other end of the line here. Uh,
0: some skag. Uh, <laughs> so, <But> he's, <laughs> he's some go-go alone. powder.
1: <laughs> so he's uh, a dime
0: of a diamond regret. What anyway?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, the, but in the diary as well, we find. An initial, which may be linked to something romantic, which isn't Bobby. It's the letter J.
0: Yeah, yeah. I believe we
1: knew a character whose name began with the letter J, who seemed cut up about Laura's death.
0: uh, You know, don't get ahead of us, Duncan. We have a lot (laughs) of investigating to go. Um... (laughs) Also, that scene ends with uh, with Agent Cooper saying a small box of chocolate bunnies, and it's just the line that the scene goes out on. And I have no other reason to point this out other than I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Um. You know. Again, the the whole show is it's not it's not tongue in cheek. Like I think that stuff is very intentionally funny. But because of the nature of the show's, you know, subject matter, saying something like, Diane, I'm holding in my hand a small box of chocolate bunnies. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but you're also, uh, anyway, I just oh, I love it so much. Um, <laughs> I, I, it, it's just such a bizarre confluence of of emotions in that scene, mm. you know? Um but uh, all right so we move from that and Andy is crying again. Uh he's calling Lucy back at the station. He's out in the train yard and he says, "Hey, I found the place where w- this happened." Yeah. And and also by the way tell sheriff I didn't cry. Yeah. Uh, well, was but Lucy, God bless her, is is like, you know, "Andy, Andy, is you're my guy. Anyway, Lucy and Andy are, are also a delight. Um, so, as as that is is going on, Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman are now sitting across from Bobby and uh, Bobby's lawyer. And Agent Cooper uh, asks the big question right off the bat, hey, did you kill Laura Palmer? And I
1: like it. Straight to the point. Yep. Straight to the point, both.
0: Yep. It turns on the recorder and then he starts grilling uh agent cooper starts grilling bobby about like where were you? you had a fight. and and actually i like bobby's defense of it doesn't matter if we had a what's he, he yeah. say if i had a fight or we were skipping rope it doesn't yeah. matter i didn't murder her. yeah. and agent cooper takes out like uh a 1990s era like text pad thing. <laughs> yep. it looks like a calculator at at first. And so he... maybe maybe a Parker pen,
1: you know, because we're going retro. Oh um, yeah, I used to love the Parker pens. Uh, oh. but I used to have a couple of those bad boys.
0: We, I'll tell you what, free one to every listener. Um, <laughs> not really. Dun, uh, email Duncan, he'll, he'll he'll hook you up.
1: <laughs> Disclaimer: No free pens. Uh,
0: <laughs> not so, not available uh, in the UK or America.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, our chinese our chinese listeners will be going winning right now um but yeah he's um you know it, it takes out He's he's not and his pen writes a small note what does the note say bo
0: it says he did not do it
1: yeah, he did not do it
0: but case closed Let's right move. show's over yeah. um but we we see the video of laura and donna at this picnic
1: yeah, and he's, uh, uh, once again, I love Cooper here because Cooper's, like, he knows the answer to this question already. He just wants to see the reaction.
0: Yeah, because he's like, did you did you know Laura was seeing somebody else? And Bobby is like, you know, of course not. And uh, But the questioning scene is great because, you know, Kyle McLaughlin is great. And, um, you know, he's just, like, He asks him all the questions you would expect him to, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but immediately understands that the reaction that Bobby has is not the reaction of a guilty person. Yes. But he does ask him, hey, uh, do you know who killed her? And he's like, well, of course not. And Agent Cooper says, yes, but we have a a name that begins with a letter J. Do you know anything about that? and Bobby looks at the, the video and it's the tight shot of Laura on the screen and he stares at the video and, uh, agent Cooper says, you didn't love her anyway. Let him go. It's baller. (laughs) It's it's how we describe it here in the States, sir. Uh, (laughs) Um, it's great and then yeah and then he leaves the room he's just like you know what we're done kid didn't do it Doesn't know shit we're we're finished here and he's
1: kind of done it intentionally to say he knows that bobby knows who g is yes and all we have to do now is follow him
0: yeah and that's kind of agent cooper's uh, mode you know his, his mo through a lot of the show is let me just mix shit up and see what happens
1: yeah, beat, beat the grass to waken the snakes.
0: Uh, okay.
1: Of which we don't have snakes in this country, so I'm stealing it from some other culture where that is used.
0: I think Ireland is where they have all the snakes. Um, that
1: seems wrong.
0: <laughs> pretty sure St. Patrick played a flute and all the snakes came to Ireland, I think is the no, story. No,
1: all, all, <laughs> all the snakes died, Bo. that's why there are no snakes in Ireland.
0: Ah, they went to Scotland. Okay. Um, yes,
1: and became the Loch Ness monster. They assembled like <laughs> Voltron.
0: I cannot believe that we have been recording for so very long, and I think this may be the first appearance of the Loch Ness monster.
1: Yeah, it's so obvious; it's not worth it.
0: <laughs> All right, that'll be that'll be our sub sub podcast uh, called Duncan and the Loch. Uh, yeah, if
1: you ever come if you ever visit Scotland I will take you to Loch Ness and you realize there's fuck all out there and it's cold and wet and miserable and the only thing that was interesting about it was Boleskine was there which was uh, Alistair Crowley's Scottish home away from home where he did all his satanic black magic shit and that burned down two years ago so that's not even there anymore it's not a wholly uninteresting place yeah but Americans love it and it does great tourism for our country so keep visiting America <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, we have the same thing at Roswell here. You know, you don't have to leave the country to see dumb shit. Um, it turns out. So... Uh, so, after the, the questioning of Bobby, Bobby Briggs, um, we then get one of my absolute favorite scenes in the uh, in the pilot, where Audrey Horn is a bit bored.
1: Mischievous Audrey Horn.
0: Yes she so she starts by poking a hole in the, the her father's secretary's coffee cup mm-hmm. like putting um a pencil in so that it seals the hole behind it yep. and then she's like i wonder what would happen if i just pulled this pencil out and the secretary is like audrey please please don't and you you, can t- you know you can, you
1: can see it in her face that she knows this is she knows that she's going to do it. And this is like a game that. I, this is like. This is a a weary, worn, tired secretary who is, who is just a brunt of every fucking Audrey Horn joke.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, she knows what's coming before it happens. Yeah. And because. <laughs> like, and of course Audrey does, and coffee goes spilling everywhere. And she's delighted by that, Audrey is, for about four seconds. Yeah, and because
1: then, some people want to see the world burn. Like the Joker started somewhere, but it started small with coffee cups and invoices.
0: Right. And then she's like, "Well, what other shit can I get into?" And
1: she escalates it pretty quick in fairness.
0: Yeah, and the secretary is like, "Look, the only thing we got going on today is all these Norwegians. Just don't fuck with them, please." Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, "Norwegians, you say?" And goes into <laughs> the "Fuck with them, you see?" <laughs> right. So she, she heads into the, uh, like the room where all the Norwegians are hanging out, going through translations of contracts and stuff like that. And she just starts wandering around the room, like playing with the coffee machine, strolling back and forth, and then just leans against the wall. And it's a bunch of old balding men in this room and Audrey Horn, the hotness.
1: Yeah, Audrey gives them all the horn there is a collective group of Norwegian boners in the room
0: yeah and they're all just like who is this girl but she's kind of pouting against the wall it's clearly an affectation but she just announces my friend died she was murdered and all the Norwegians are like the fuck and the
1: Norwegians are like Mark,
0: Josh? Right. It well they, they give her the look and then there's a kind of a gag where they all turn back to the translator and then all turn back to her again. Um because the show can't not be goofy. Uh I should do it. I yeah. Should do it. It's it but once again, a great example of Audrey just stirring shit up that she doesn't need to. Um the, the Joker esque uh Audrey horn behavior. <laughs> So her or Donna's boyfriend, Mike, is meeting Bobby at the police station now that Bobby's released. And Bobby, of course, has put two and two together. He knows the J in question here. And he tells Mike, like, hey, we're going to go out to the roadhouse and we're going to fuck this guy up. But Lucy, who's way smarter than she looks and sounds, has been typing the entire time the conversation she has overheard between Bobby and Mike. So, uh, she is pretty quick to, uh, give that information over to agent Cooper and, uh, sheriff Truman. Um, but not before we have the interrogation of Donna herself, where we once again have the video played and, and, uh, agent Cooper is like, you know, where were you? Where was she? Why were you out on this picnic? And then, Duncan, do you want to take the, again, the Agent Cooper baller moment from this scene?
1: I've just drawn a blank boy. All
0: right. So, <laughs> he's like, so, you know, it's just you and Laura having a picnic. And she's like, yeah. Oh, let's... Yeah, yeah,
1: right. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. yeah, yeah. All right. Go ahead. Well, yeah. It's like just you having a picnic. And she's like, yeah. yeah. And he's like, well, uh, it's just you, to Who's. Who's holding the camera? Yeah. And she's like, "Oh, oh well, it's and this is the greatest excuse. This is a kid's excuse. This is like, how did that vase break? Oh well, a squirrel came through the window and um, knocked over the vase and then stole all the cookies and then left. And you're like, okay, a squirrel did that, you say. Um, she's basically like that there was this hitchh- hitchhiker who came up and we asked the hitchhiker if they wouldn't mind taking and you know, the Hitchhiker totally did that, and, you know, the they film does, and it's like, oh, right, right, the Hitchhiker, did you get the Hitchhiker's name? No, no, it's like, we wouldn't begin with the letter G by any chance, would it? Um, and, you know, really just like, once again, Cooper knows the answer to the questions. He really knows the answer to the he's just fucking with them But in the best possible way, because he is, he's playing for reaction. He's wanting to see what sort of reaction he gets from her how much does she know um
0: right um, yeah let me put this other plate in motion i've already got bobby going after somebody mm-hmm. let me let me start winding this one up because what we're going to do is we're going to see where these these folks go when pressure is applied
1: yeah and once again I, what i love about this is once again in the in the terms of a time frame for this show this is still all happening on the same day you know what I mean? Yes. This is, like, like every, everything that happens in the first episode happens all in the space of one day, and a lot of shit happens. So he's now positioning his pawns, so to speak, in a way where they will lead him to the person that he really needs to speak to, which is the G in the diary.
0: Yeah, and in in the attempt to uh, to track this mysterious J down, uh, another awesome move that Agent Cooper pulls is saying hey, uh, I think whoever was there was probably a biker. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, Sheriff Truman and Lucy, who are in the room, are like, what the? Huh? And so he pauses the videotape when it's a close-up of Laura Palmer's eye. Mm-hmm. And in the reflection in her eye, you see the uh, headlight of a motorcycle. Yep. And Agent Cooper, again being a baller, says, looks like a hog to me. And a, so, cool. so fucking cool. He, Agent Cooper is pretty much the coolest thing ever in uh <laughs> in, in this show. And and we fade from that image to James and his bike that looks awfully like the uh the bike that we saw in the video.
1: It's another I, th- I mean, if only we we had a term for this, like transitioning.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, sounds right. like a sounds like a professional filmmaking technique, boy.
0: Yeah. It is uh it, <laughs> Man, all right. The next scene, Duncan. Oh, right. tell me about the next scene, Bo. It's the Norwegians on the move. <laughs> the,
1: the, the, the Norwegians are leaving, Bull. The Norwegians are
0: leaving. It's it's so good and also you see Audrey giggling her happy ass off about this. Oh, she
1: loves she's ha- she is happier than a pig in shit.
0: Yeah. So, this is a brief respite in horribleness, where we just see Audrey continuing to fuck with her father. Uh, and I think that's at the heart of it, right? Is that he's trying to put yeah. together this land deal, and she's just like, you know what? I can probably ruin that for him real good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, But then we cut to the interior of a, uh, a rusted-out train car where Sheriff Truman and Agent Cooper have uh, pointed their flashlights at some some bloody rags. There's some blood on the floor. There is a hammer. Uh, yes. Maybe the most brutal of all uh, murder weapons. I feel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and most importantly, Duncan. Uh, there is a mound of dirt. At the top of which is a necklace with that has half a heart.
1: Yeah, half a heart locket.
0: Yep. And also a slip of paper. Uh, and and Duncan, what is written on that paper?
1: Um, fire walk with me.
0: Nonsense, Duncan. That those words don't make sense together. Uh, yeah, but
1: they're, they're 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 supposedly written in blood as well. Yeah, that's right. Which is even creepier.
0: Fire <laughs> walk with me.
1: Fire walk with me. Um, Twin Peaks aficionados. That have watched the show before will obviously understand that there are greater meaning behind these words. And those that maybe have a casual interest will be aware that there was a prequel movie which we will cover. Um
0: But don't the, watch the, it prequel- don't watch it yet.
1: Yeah, don't watch it. No, don't watch it now. No 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 no. Wait, wait, watch it in order like we're we're doing. Uh but the prequel movie was called Firework with Me. Yes. And it details the 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 last hours um of Laura Palmer. So yeah. So it basically it would lead up into the events that we are now following in a TV show. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's something creepy and weird about those words. Uh, and the fact that there's a hammer and bloody rags and uh, a heart locket, uh, which is like well, half a heart locket in there. This is a crime scene. Um, and there's no really any discernible clues here at all. There's things, there's items, but nothing at the moment that we can tie to any one particular place.
0: Yeah, the the only reason we know who owns the other half of that locket is because we then fade to a scene where James is sitting uh, on a lonely hill in Washington State as thunder rolls, and he has in his hand the other half of the broken heart locket. Yes. Um, so, I don't know about you, Duncan. I'm thinking James might have uh, had something to do with this. Uh, (laughs) so we we've moved from that back into the investigation we now are at uh the bank Mm -hmm. um where the uh sheriff truman and agent cooper are uh, looking at the safety deposit box that laura palmer had the key to uh within they find um a I guess sex ad in a a magazine called flesh world. That seems to be about how to find sex workers or something. Yep. So at any rate, Ronette, uh, Pulaski, uh, the girl we, uh, we met walking down the, uh, the train tracks, all bloodied and and bruised actually has an ad in said magazine. Mm Mm-hmm uh we also find in the box about 10 grand i think is is the total and so immediately like again peeling back the layers we understand now hey Laura Palmer might have been into some shit besides going to classes and maybe stepping out on her boyfriend
1: yeah because like superficially, that's what it looks like, but we know that she's seen a psychiatrist. She had a key to a safety po- safety deposit box. Inside the the package, which the key was in, was cocaine residue, and now we have found a magazine for well filled with sex ads and quite a substantial amount of money for a teenager.
0: Yes, all implying that something uh, more than a simple murder is afoot. Um, hmm. So then uh, we get back to Shelly, who we haven't seen in a while. Um, Shelly Johnson, our, our favorite uh, waitress at the old uh, double R. Mm-hmm. Except uh, it's her and her husband um, who looks a bit like Edward Furlong before the booze really took hold.
1: <laughs> yeah, Leo. Leo does not look... Leo is a big imposing guy. But uh, yeah, he, he he's not wearing well. The 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 route of a trucker is sometimes difficult.
0: Yeah, well you gotta take all that crank, uh to keep you go- moving across the the country, Duncan. I again I don't wanna lose you with all my drug slang. But Yeah, well uh,
1: don't please please don't, please don't.
0: <laughs> you know. Uh trucker's best friend crank. <laughs> skag. <laughs> it's all it's all skag. <laughs> uh so Leo is is home and is sifting through the Ashtray and sees a brand of cigarette that he doesn't recognize. So um Leo is I I would call him maybe a bit short-tempered and controlling. Possessive. Possessive is quite good. Also potentially an alcoholic.
1: Um and potential uh wife you get the like, you get the you get the vibe from him that he is not scared to lift his hands to women.
0: No, and and in fact, he tells her like, "Hey, why why do, is there this cigarette here that's not your brand?" And she's like, "Hey, we pick up packs of cigarettes people leave all the time, so I just smoke whatever's there." And he's like, "You smoke one from now on. You smoke one brand. If I find another brand, I'm gonna snap your neck." And she's like, "Leo, you ain't got nothing to worry about, baby. I loves you." Um, yes. You know, but it's really just establishing here that Leo is a character and he is terrible. Um, Yes, (laughs) pretty much. In the the interest of continuing the theme of infidelity, we also have Norma from the double R calling Big Ed and saying, Hey, do you want to come meet me at the Roadhouse about 930? Because we're fooling around in case you forgot. Or in case Mm -hmm. the people watching the show didn't know that yet.
1: We didn't know this yet.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, she did a good job. And uh, so Big Ed is like, all right, well, I I guess I can make it. I mean, he wants to meet her. But as soon as he hangs up with her, he has to look out the window where his wife, Nadine, is simply opening and closing the drapes.
1: She's so happy, though.
0: (sighs) Yeah. But, like, and Ed just kind of drops his head and... It uh, the, What I like about the moment is he looks away, and then he looks back, and you cut back to her doing it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is it really that? Yes, yes, she's really just opening and closing traps. Um, she's
1: so happy, though, boy. She's so
2: happy.
0: <laughs> she she is. She's simple folk, Duncan, and, and maybe Big Ed <laughs> should never have married her in the first place, because there might have been a, a crime committed when that happened. Um... <laughs>
1: she's opening and closing those drapes like ace ventura does when he's trying
0: to prove that that door's soundproof oh yeah Ah, ah, (laughs) ah, (laughs) that's really good (laughs) um yeah it's it's ridiculous but it all like it comes into play later and you know i'll mention it now because it's not that big a deal but uh, so Norma and Big Ed make a day to go to the Roadhouse as well. So everybody's, you know, convening on on the Roadhouse at the end of this episode. But when the when
1: everybody's working for the weekend, like Roadhouse time, let's go.
0: Yeah, and it's I, the
1: it's the most happening swinging place until you get in there and realize the music is depressing as fuck.
0: And I think that explains much of the town of Twin Peaks, is that their music <laughs> venue does nothing but moody fairy music. <laughs> but no one in the band looks like they
1: should be playing moody fairy music except this singer.
0: Yes, yes. There's a little bit too much guitar strumming in one of those shots for me, quite frankly. Um, but uh, we now join the... Uh, My favorite buddy cop team of Sheriff Truman and Agent Cooper as they're about to lay down um, a uh, kind of a town hall meeting for everyone to explain what's going on. And uh, Agent Cooper uh, says he saw uh, a horseshoe rabbit and uh, is corrected and told, no, 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 no. You actually saw a, uh, a snowshoe rabbit. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's great. And so we get the background of Josie Packard and you know we've kind of filled it in already but her husband owned the sawmill he died left the money to Josie instead of his sister and his sister Catherine is the one who fired the dude in the plan and is real pissed off that yeah. she didn't get
1: See you next Tuesday.
0: Right. The the see you next Tuesday. <laughs> and uh so um they basically just say like hey we want to do a curfew because as we pointed out, it looks like this this murder uh, of Laura Palmer relates to a murder that happened a year ago. Um, we're instituting a curfew so that anyone under the age of 18 uh, can't be out after like 9 o'clock or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, But of course, nobody really gives a shit about that. Oh, also we have the first introduction of the Log Lady.
1: Uh, oh Log Lady. <laughs> she <laughs> Which is like, like Bo how did she get the name Log Lady?
0: Well, she carries around a log, Duncan. Uh <laughs> I I can't really give you much of Is she more the about- most
1: David Lynch We should play a game at home here, listeners. Like, who is the most David Lynch character in this show? Is it the Log Lady?
0: I don't think so.
1: No, I don't think so. I either, think it's but it's Jacoby. wonderfully weird.
0: I think Dr. Jacoby is the most David Lynch character in this movie, or in the show, because he's so, he, he's super weird, but also has these underpinnings of relevance. Like, the Log Lady, it's hard to argue that she's that integral to the story. She's just kind of a weirdo that shows up time to time. Um, Unless
1: you own the, the Blu-ray box set like I do, which has introductions to all the episodes as given by the Log Lady. Oh, Really? yeah it's fucking amazing That's you need to buy good. that box it that box set is bitching
0: i i may very well do that just for that alone but the mm-hmm. yeah so the log lady is just flashing the lights in the joint for no good reason telling everybody to quiet down um she's kind of crowd control and uh so they say hey there's um you know there's this curfew and then we cut to donna's house and Donna has a discussion with her sister about, like, hey, I need to sneak out and meet James.
1: sister's amazing.
0: Her, yeah, her sister Harriet, who is working on a poem? Mm-hmm. Or a song or something? And she's trying to figure out if the better line is, like, the bloom of the evening or the last flower at night or something. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know if you're into the Freudian psychology, uh, Duncan, or maybe just a Georgia O'Keefe fan.
1: Yeah, I was more more Jungian than than Freudian, but that's fine.
0: What? Whatever. I, Georgia <laughs> O'Keefe was the important one. She's the real hero here. But uh, I think it's I think it's safe to say that she is writing a poem about pussy, to one degree I or think- another. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I don't think you're having to stretch too far for that. I think you're probably right.
0: And again, I think it's this weird like Lynch jamming sexuality into scenes, whether you notice it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, like there when you think of flowers and petals and stuff like that. Maybe not everybody. I mean, if you're into horticulture, it probably has less of a meaning. But, <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, you, it, there is a long literary tradition of. uh referring to the female genitalia as flowers and i think that's what harriet's doing so she uh takes harriet's bike uh uh, donna does and um says like hey i gotta go meet james cover for me um if you know the parents come calling tell them i'm on the phone with mike unfortunately Mike shows up just after Donna leaves, kind of drunk with Bobby, who is surfing on the hood of his car, uh, yep. unsteadily in a really weird way. Yeah. And we we got to stop using the word weird on this show. Uh, it's just yeah, going to come it's, up it's, too much. We're going to have to.
1: Yeah, in a normal way.
0: Yes, in a positively everyday manner, he is hood surfing on his stopped car. And uh, to his credit, Donna's dad is kind of not taking any shit off Mike, mostly because he can see the fact that Bobby is surfing on the hood of a car behind him.
1: Yeah, any credibility this conversation has is unfortunately undermined by the fact that your friend is surfing on a car behind you while drinking beer openly.
0: Yes, and looking pretty unsteady on his feet. And Mike says, don't worry, we've been drinking, but he's driving, so we're cool. Um, yeah. which also not doing great for credibility. So. Yeah,
1: no, no, and uh, as the town, you talk about things that don't quite sit well, and we'll point out a few of them. This guy's a town doctor. I get the feeling he'd want to say something. You know, Kids shouldn't be doing that at all. Otherwise, the next bodies I'll be examining in the morgue will be yours for drink driving, but he doesn't say anything.
0: He doesn't say any of that, but he also doesn't let him into the house.
1: He does not let them into the house. Instead, he decides to go up and get Donna.
0: Right, who is clearly not there. So he goes into the bedroom, and Harriet says, "Uh, "Look, I'm just gonna tell you." This is amazing. (laughs) And he's like, "Where is she?" And Harriet says, "You see that window?" And and her dad just goes, "Later," and then walks out. Is like, "All right, I, I suddenly have a lot of shit to deal with." And so he goes back to Mike and says, "Hey, Donna's not here. She snuck off." see if you can find her, and if you do, tell her, you know, we're looking for her. And then he says the most ominous thing ever, which is, oh, don't you worry about it. We're gonna find her. And, yeah. as a father, that would to me, raise some alarms.
1: Yeah, the father, in, in this case, hears the word said like this, oh, don't worry, we'll find her.
0: Right, and in reality, <laughs> not how like, he said that. oh, we'll find her, alright. Yeah, we're gonna Center. uh so
1: they head, and but they audibly say to the roadhouse right okay, we get the, the the 1960s batman thing where
0: it was it kind of uh, is because uh, <laughs> then uh dr hayward uh, uh donna's father ends up calling the sheriff or calling the, the police pop-o. station yeah yeah the five-o lucy uh very competently patches him through um, again, another character. I kind of love anything she says or does. I think Lucy's wonderful. And so he says, hey, Donna is missing. And would you kind of keep an eye out for her? Would you go look for her? And, uh, Sheriff Truman says, yeah, we'll look for her. And then Agent Cooper immediately is like, well, of course she snuck out. That's what we wanted her to do. And how else are we going to find this biker unless she sneaks out and we follow her? And then, Duncan, cut to the most depressing bar in oh, yeah. in the history of bars. Which
1: is playing the theme song from the show, but this time with lyrics.
0: Yes, The uh, Nightingale, written, yeah.
1: Yeah, written by David Lynch. So, as you can imagine, the lyrics are obscure, weird, um, and weirdly don't fit this scene at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but we have a lot of bikers slow dancing to the most depressing song ever written in um, <laughs> a bar which is getting kind of rowdy. Um,
0: well, sure. Every everybody likes a good moody fairy song to get them yes. get the blood pumping and you know the vitals up. Yeah. Well, uh, Big Ed's there. He's having a ball. Big Ed's there with Norma, as we mentioned. Um, we understand that they are having an affair. Uh, you know Norma is saying like hey even if it's not for me you should leave Nadine for yourself because she's a crazy person and has had you hanging drapes all day so she can open and close them and he's like I know but what about your husband and we find out that Na- uh not Nadine I'm sorry that um, crap just escaped my head um, what Norma. is the name of the uh, lady Norma. who owns the double R Norma, God sorry so yep. <laughs> i couldn't think of it I was like I, I just said her name um so norma uh has an husband who is in prison for manslaughter yep. who is coming up on parole soon
1: yeah which is yeah not the best time to have an affair
0: right and and in fairness big ed is totally aware of the situation and but he's it, big ed But he's Big Ed and he's like, look, I'm not crazy about you having a guy, you know, he says something about like, you know, when you mention ex-husband and parole in the same sentence kind of makes people nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, Big Ed's a good guy. He's going to stand by her. And uh, so while they're chit-chatting in in a booth, then Mike and Bobby show up ready to rumble. Yep. And uh, some of the bikers notice uh, and they're like, hey. Uh, these two assholes just showed up. We should probably get ready to have a fight. And uh, right behind them comes Donna, who is seen by Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman, who are outside the roadhouse, watching all these people go in. And immediately, Agent Cooper is like, you're going to want to call some backup. (laughs) Shit's about to pop off. Which it does it absolutely does, because as, as soon as she walks in, uh, Mike starts uh, hollering and is like, what are you doing here? Why are you sneaking around? And she's like, uh, no reason. And then he, Mike, begins manhandling Donna. Big head, Big Ed, because he's a good dude, is like, hey, I got to intervene, because I'm not going to let you hit a woman in front of me, because Big Ed rocks. And uh, Big Ed gets involved. There's some... Uh, B- Bobby, by the way, sucker punches him with brass knuckles. Not cool, Bobby. Not cool at all.
1: It's a total Bobby move, though.
0: It is uh, it is so Bobby. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is classic Bobby Briggs.
1: Yeah. It's a classic Bobby Briggs. You know, um,
0: hashtag Brood Bro. Ha- hashtag
1: Brood Bros. Um, for, brood bros for life, yo. Um, yeah. Yeah, but he does, he sucker-punches him, and then shit kicks off, and in all the confusion, Donna is whisked away secretly by a biker who is going to take her to James.
0: Which he, in fact, does with Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman in pursuit, um, but they're, you know, kind of hanging back, trying not to be seen and all, and so we, we find out that for sure... James was having an, uh, an affair, although it's it's tough to call it an affair when they're all in high school, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, he he was uh, fooling around with Laura while she was dating Bobby, and that, in a lot of ways, Donna was kind of helping facilitate that. Mm-hmm. And then he tells the story about the, the night that he was with Laura last, which was, you know, just the night before, uh, the night of her murder, and describes laura palmer in a very different way from the homecoming picture we saw you know
1: oh completely It couldn't be any more different um like the way he describes her is very manic and very aggressive and terrified and terrifying all in the same sentence
0: yeah and it's clear that he he cared about her a lot but in the midst of this uh he and donna um do a little lip-hugging uh you know lip-hugging duncan Yes. Kissing. Lip hugging. That's, that's
1: what we call over here is lip hugging. <laughs> right.
0: Um. snogging. Snogging. Yeah. Yayo. <laughs> <Gank>. Skag. Skag <laughs> Uh so but she also tells James, like, hey don't get caught with this necklace because he wants to turn himself in and she says if you're gonna do that just don't don't take this necklace with you because they're going to assume you killed her and you don't have a good alibi because all you did was drive into town and then Laura bounced off your bike and then died soon after so we don't you don't need that kind of heat Bobby
1: yeah, he doesn't have an—he doesn't really have an alibi, and he was the last one to see her that we know of. So, yeah, by by you showing up having the other half of the necklace doesn't believe it or not—it's not, not going to help you.
0: Nope. And they uh, so they actually do catch up with um, Agent Cooper, or well, Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman finally catch up with Bobby, uh, flash the blues on him, and. Uh, You know, Bobby turns himself over in, like, a non-suspicious fashion, I would argue. That it's just like, okay, you know, we're gonna, I'm stopping the bike, here's Donna, she's okay, you know, I'm gonna do the hands behind the the head and all that stuff. And Donna gets up and it's just like, hey, he didn't do it, and is defending uh, James to the best of her uh, ability. And, uh, nonetheless, Bobby is taken into custody and we have only three more real moments in this episode. Yeah. One is, uh, another favorite of mine of Agent Cooper talking to Sheriff Truman and eating an array of donuts that Lucy has prepared for them.
1: (laughs) Which they get every night. And I was like, I should have been a fucking cop in Twin Peaks.
0: Mm. You know, it's coffee, it's donuts, and Agent Cooper asks for uh, a, a clean and uh, reasonably rated um by which I mean a, a, a motel that has reasonable rates mm-hmm. and uh, and Sheriff Truman says, oh yeah yeah, I'll I'll hook you up at uh, the Great Northern. And apparently Agent Cooper doesn't hear this because he just keeps going on. About how some places will tell you that the rate's one thing. And then you get there and it's another. And here's what he needs. He just needs a phone and maybe a TV if he ever gets you know, a little time off. But don't worry about that as much. And then the sheriff just repeats the line. I can get you a good rate at the Great Northern. And Agent careers like, great. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> I, again, just such a goofy little moment. Coming on the heels of this story where we've had this girl die, there's another girl who showed up, you know, uh, there's sex crimes, there's uh, infidelities, all that stuff, and we kind of weirdly land with our detectives on a scene that's totally played for laughs. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of adore it. Um, it's
1: a great scene. It's a great scene. Once again, it just... Uh, it gives us a bit more insight to
0: the, the Dean
1: Cooper character, which is always brilliant. But also, once again, it kind of sets up this kind of buddy cop sort of rapport that we're really going to have between these two characters moving forward. So yeah, it's great
3: we scene.
0: Yeah, I, I really, really uh, think it's, it's very funny. And it's a great way to kind of leave Agent Cooper in this episode uh, with him talking to Diane once more, uh and and saying he's going go to go the the northern hotel. And I I like Sheriff Truman in this moment too because he seems kind of amused by Agent Cooper and yeah in a way. Um so I don't know. I mean, do you want to talk about this jail scene Duncan? It, it's hard to describe almost.
1: It's classic Lynch, isn't it? Uh, this is cla- this is the quintessential classic Lynch because one thing that um David Lynch does pretty much better, like, David Lynch has never really made a horror movie. Now, some people may argue that, but in my eyes, he's never really made what I would call a horror movie. However, his movies have scenes which are plucked right from nightmares. Like completely well, surreal, bizarre, there's a particular scene in Mulholland Drive that I saw at the cinema when I saw it, 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 it made me very near shit my pants. Um... And, and you know, was one of the things I'd like. It really jarred me. There are scenes in Lost Highway that terrify me. Um, and it's all to do with things that don't make sense. This kind of off-kilter thing, this surrealism we're talking about. So when we have James being brought into his prison cell, um, there's something. It's, it's weird because they use the. They very cleverly play into this idea of how a pack of dogs will turn on each other, you know, when when they have to, you know, when when assuming the alpha status. Um, we see him be brought in, and we see the way that both Bobby and Mike start to look at him with this—it's this kind of predatory sort of look, and it's very vicious looking as well. And they wait until the the jail cell has been closed and the police officer go out where they both start howling at him and barking like feral dogs um and it's it's very surreal it's very unsettling actually um and like james like actually for an actor who spends most of his time pouting in the show um he does show kind of fear on his face quite well but they just keep going with this barking and um, once again Bobby's face Bobby's cast perfectly um, has this really malicious evil aggressive face uh, just before he hills at him um, and it is completely out of context doesn't make any sense um, it's one of those scenes that you throw in just purely to fuck with people and it's done brilliantly it's, it's a weird weird scene
0: yeah it. it- absolutely is but i yeah i mean again it's one of those things that when you see it again you know in 1990 that scene must have just been head scratching yeah why are these people barking at him
1: yeah it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense at all and it is it doesn't make sense so it becomes unsettling the longer it goes on and it goes on for quite a bit um
0: not as long as think you think. So. Like, it feels way longer yeah. than it is. Just uh, yeah, yeah I, think it's, I think it's
1: maybe 15 seconds on the screen. feels like it goes on for a minute. So, um,
0: Yeah. It's it, Oh, it's so bizarre.
1: Weird. It's very, very weird. Very, uh, very, very, very lunch.
0: Yeah. So you can see. For sure. Um, there is one other, actually, two other quick tidbits. One, we actually do see um, Sheriff Truman going to the sawmill, Uh, or the lodge I suppose well no the lodge is the uh, horns and then the sawmill but there's houses around the sawmill and stuff but anyway uh, going to the Packard estate and he uh, says to Josie Packard he was waiting for him hey I heard you called a police officer and she's like I did and then they start uh, snogging snogging
1: that's right uh,
0: skag gank ganking (laughs) Skinking to the beat. It's all the same.
1: Garbage truckin'.
0: Gar Ben Lorian from Dusk Dawn. <laughs> and they, uh... Anyway, so they're a couple and, and we see Catherine uh, Martell. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mistakenly kept calling her Packard because she's the sister, but she married Pete, who's Pete Martell and blah blah blah. So, uh, Catherine, the, the Packard sister that didn't get shit, Um, notices that the uh, sheriff is there and is talking on the phone with someone and says uh, he's here again and we can all assume that she is talking to um, Horn uh, Audrey's father uh, Benjamin Horn who is in kind of a play for the town and and certainly the sawmill and uh, so we have a little bit of deception happening here but the final moment of of the show, Duncan, is actually um, back in the Palmer household, mm-hmm. and we have uh, Laura's mother um, having some sort of weird vision. Yeah, about a basically the the part uh, the spot in the woods where um, James hid the necklace yeah and and placed a rock over some dirt so he'd know where to find it and she has a vision of someone collecting that necklace and that's it but uh because i gave away the other kind of fun you know hey here's david lynch just being like it works uh, <laughs> this is this is the other one so you you describe that one
1: Oh uh, yeah, because like um, this is what, I, what what is interesting. My version doesn't have this to the next episode, but I, I'm assuming we're talking about the the scene with our buddy. Is that what we're talking about?
0: Well, we don't see him fully, and and maybe I'm yeah. gonna uh, I'm gonna surprise you maybe a little with this, but there is a scene at the very end of this episode where uh, Mrs. Palmer it like sits up straight, and you see in the mirror. Uh, the reflection of a of, of face, a slightly obscure yeah, face. Yeah that
1: yeah that's that's in the there's an alternative there's an alternative ending to that episode um in the UK and that's the alternative ending. So that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So um, and there endeth episode one. According to our case files, Duncan, we have yes. one dead girl.
1: Yeah, right. So let's let's right, let's quickly recap them. One dead girl, Laura Palmer. Laura Palmer, um kinda all American, high school sweetheart. Everyone loved her. Um was found dead. She had been brutally murdered and wrapped in cellophane, um or plastic wrap behind a log. Um we have found out that she went to a psychiatrist we have found out that she had a safety deposit box with a key which was in a package which contained cocaine. Inside that safety deposit box was £10,000. or Sorry, $10,000 because she's American, obviously. It um, be worth more if it was in pounds. Though. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> um, and a sex worker's magazine. Um, she was seeing this rather weird psychiatrist who wants to keep it on the down low. Uh, or low down, I don't know what the difference is. Um,
0: but ben Laurie. <laughs> there
1: was that. Yeah, Ben Laurie. Um, she had a boyfriend, uh, Bobby Briggs, but on the side she was seeing James as Broody Biker, um, who was at the moment the last one to see her. And when he saw her, she was manic, crazy out there, Gonzo. Um, so. We have all of that. Uh, We currently have Bobby and Mike and James all in prison cells, um, awaiting further questioning. Um, So we then have to ask the question, who took the necklace? Um, Who was the strange person in the mirror? Mm -hmm. Which, like Bo was saying, was an accident that David Lynch actually then incorporated into the show, geniusly. Keep Uh, it. Because once again... (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> once again, auto director, that's what they do. Um, they, they, some people are like, oh, this is a mistake. He's like, this is an opportunity. Um, so we have that. Uh, so someone has taken this piece of evidence. Um, we don't know who it is. Mm, so much to go over. So much to go
0: over. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean we've got all the stuff surrounding Laura Palmer and and you know we'll get into the other storylines and so forth. But this is uh all the makings, sir, of a great murder mystery if only this series was really about that. Um yeah. <laughs> but but it it is still really really compelling and you know, here's kind of the genius of Twin Peaks listener, so you know, as if we haven't blown this series enough but
1: (laughs) first episode the
0: first episode we're just like oh it's so good uh which is probably right for the first episode because once we get into like episode seven and we're like okay here's some stuff that who could give a shit but
1: yeah i get i get i get the feeling that when we reach episode seven we won't be using the word weird
0: god i hope not and 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 (laughs) listeners certainly we are trying but it's i mean it's a lynch movie and it's hard I'm gonna have to get my thesaurus and be like, you know, all right, this this character is odd instead of weird. Um,
1: yeah. This scene is so abstract.
0: Yes, surreal, sir.
1: Surreal. I, that's how I like to describe David Lynch is surreal. But...
0: Yeah, and and this series gets there. This is pretty grounded. There there are yeah. there are certainly strange touches here and there. There's a sprinkling of and weirdness, but. Ooh, nice. Uh, I, I would argue that it plays fairly straightforward, but if you're a discriminating viewer, it's all those weird touches that are going to be the thing that makes the show great. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I I think the pilot is tremendous. I think it is even if it weren't David Lynch and Twin Peaks as a standalone pilot, I think it's one of the best.
1: Yeah, it reminds me the the American kind of remake of the Danish show The Killing is basically a rip-off of this, really. That first episode, all-American girl found dead, uh, mystery, conspiracy, police looking into it, all the rest. And furthermore, and we've spoke about this before, um, there's a great horror movie called Lake Mungle, fan footage documentary, which is so heavily influenced by Twin Peaks. It's unbelievable. Right down to the, the, the point that the girl's name, um, surname is Palmer. She is seeing a psychiatrist. Her body is found up washed up um, beside a body of water. Uh, the the more they start looking into her past, the more they realise that the person that they thought they knew was not the real person. So, like, it, it hugely influential and it's, Primarily because this first episode is, I, I would go and say, like one of the best debuts of a TV show ever. I think it's it's super, super, super strong and still surprisingly holds up. I know some of the, maybe the, the impact of things like the score, like I say, one of, the, one of the people that follow the podcast on the status page had mentioned how off-putting it was. I think that maybe had more impact around the time where that's how sitcoms were written. So you would always have this the repetition of certain musical beats and certain musical phrases when certain things were happening during the programme. Maybe we have removed ourselves quite a bit with that with modern TV. Um and that's one thing that maybe does date it a little bit. Out with that though, I think the story, the acting, the delivery, I think is still super strong some twenty odd years on.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean I it was made twenty six. 26- Seven, or well, twenty six years ago at this point, almost twenty seven. Um, yeah. I know, but it yeah. I mean, of course, it's dated. It's in the old 4.3 format instead of the the widescreen. Um, it but all that being said, despite being dated and all that kind of thing, the show itself is really great, mm-hmm. and yeah, I I would liken it to watching maybe even the original run of the x-files something like that yeah. where yes there are going to be clothing and music and stuff like that that is going to place it in that time but twin peaks in particular has such a uh like a, a, a timelessness to it anyway yes yeah, because I, I think it's because
1: the characters all dress and have it in different time frames do yeah. you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
1: that's kind of that benefits it. Where we're talking about Audrey Horne or Bobby Briggs as characters look like they could be from something from like the nineteen fifties. Um, the when you look at certain workers in there are obviously like kind of dressed like people of industry. Um, the guys, the the thing that dates it, I think are the guys in the suits. So if you're looking at uh, kind of Leland's or um, Benjamin Horn. The suits just look a bit like early 90s, late 80s. But out with that, I think they're really... And I don't know if that was, once again, if that's a deliberate lynch thing to do, is to to not really, you know, to put it in a position where it has a kind of... The characters have almost like a kind of timeless quality, or, or whether or not that's just accidental, and I quite like how one character looks, so she's going to dress in the kinda 50s, get up, etc., um, we should probably discuss Diane before we go we mentioned her quite a few times
0: yeah so Diane is as as of this moment uh, Diane is the unseen one presumes his secretary possibly maybe his boss although later we see that David Lynch is kind of his boss but yeah. Um, oh my goodness, we got Miguel Ferrer coming up too. Mm. <laughs> no, mm. man, no, God bless that man. So sorry to hear he passed recently.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. He did. He did. I believe he did manage to film all his stuff for. Not that that makes a difference. It is a great shame to you know that he's, that he's no longer with us. But he did do his relevant parts, I believe, for
2: the new season. So.
0: I and I hope it's great because he was consistently such a, a fun actor to watch on screen. And yeah. I, I don't mean to deflect the question about Diane. I the I, I just wanted to give Miguel Ferrer a little lip service. We'll we'll get to it when he's actually on the show in the episode. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Diane is is, is sort of this we, uh, <laughs> weird uh, this. N- n- faceless name that we always hear agent cooper talking to with such detail and it's stuff like remind me and i mean i think you can make a pretty good case that the recorder itself is diane
1: yeah i I think on some level as well my interpretation is diane is almost um is almost the audience as well to a certain extent he recaps, like, there's a lot of banal detail in there, but he recaps so much of what he's seen, his thought process, into that tape recorder audibly for us to hear, um, that on some level we get to experience this train of thought. Um, so on some level, ladies and gentlemen, we're all a little bit of Diane.
0: We we really are.
1: I almost got that out without
0: laughing. It's, I, I really appreciated that. I'm glad you did. <laughs> um... All right, I mean that's that's episode one. I feel like we have been uh fairly thorough with our discussion yeah. of this. We have laid the groundwork. We're not gonna have to first of all, we're gonna be dealing with episodes that are half as long, you know
1: yeah, well yeah, this is movie length, so yeah. um just, just to just to put that out there this is movie length, so we're gonna be jumping down to forty five minute length episodes. Moving forward, which means the episodes will probably be about half the length, but we had to get it all out, had to set the stage, set the scene uh, for our ongoing investigations into what happened to Agent Dale Cooper and his investigations into Laura Palmer's death.
0: That is absolutely correct. Uh, Listeners, thank you so much for joining us on our first uh, day in Twin Peaks. And uh, we will be back to discuss uh, the the next stage in our investigation. Um, before we get out of here, I would like to remind our listeners, uh, if if you are hearing this for the first time or somebody recommended it to you, hey, we'd really appreciate it if you jumped over to iTunes or Stitcher or however it is that you're listening to the show. Uh, leave us a rating and review. It it does certainly help, and, and we do appreciate it. I'm not going to lie. Duncan's kind of a dick about it, but I... <laughs> I love it, and I respect you, the listener, for doing it. And I would almost say, do it just to spite Duncan.
1: Do it to spite me. That's the best way to leave good feedback.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, but thank you again for listening, uh, D- Duncan. You have any other uh, uh, final thoughts here before we uh, we we pull the plug on this thing?
1: Just a, how incredibly excited I am that I'm finally getting to talk about one of the most interesting TV shows ever made in a podcast format ahead of its new season. Unprecedented that a TV show goes away for as much time as this has, and then to come back and make a return um, in a fashion predicted by the TV show itself.
2: Yeah, so yeah.
1: It's it's like I can't think of anything that's ever done this. And I I can't wait to see where we go, how much stuff that we both bring up to each other that maybe spins the show in a different light. Same with our listeners. Really, we're looking forward to interacting with you guys, whether you're watching it for the first time or whether you are old school um, heavy watchers of Twin Peaks. Please uh, get in touch with your theories about the show. Episode to episode, please. Try not to spoil anything for those that are following it through. But... um, as we go through the episodes, anything that we didn't touch on, anything that you observe, because trust me, there is so much detail in all these episodes. Lynch, very much like Kubrick, likes to put in plenty of Easter eggs. So if you're picking them up, let us know um, either on the Facebook group page or directly on the Legion podcast page um, under the show. So, yeah, I can't wait. This is going to be fun.
0: Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, hop over to Legion podcasts on the Facebook um and uh also you know what Podcast under the stairs drop it on uh Duncan's page as well and yep. uh because I'll find it he'll he'll point me to it if you if you leave a message over there as well um so uh yeah I think it is going to be uh a very fun ride there are some episodes and there are some moments Bob that I can't wait to <laughs> talk about Bob and I don't know I mean I, I can't put I, I can't put my finger on just one thing I'm excited about, Bob, but I, I just want to experience the show as a whole again to get into that second season, to see some of the, like the creepy stuff that Lynch is able to, to, to kind of cobble together, Bob. And I think it's all going to be an amazing experience, Bob, for everybody listening to the show. So uh, thank you again for checking it out. Um, and I I guess that's it. I, it feels so strange. To be wrapping our first episode on uh, on Twin Peaks, but uh, here we are. Thanks again to everyone for for listening. And the only thing left to do is to say, Duncan, say good night.
1: Good night, everyone.
0: Good night, Bob.